Hello, everyone. Welcome to another fine episode of the Game Junk Podcast. This is episode number 19 for April 2014, and my name is Sean. Uh, my name is Frank. My name is Andrew. And coming up on this particular episode, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the recent releases on both the Xbox One and PlayStation 4. We're going to talk some Titanfall. We're going to talk some infamous Second Son, uh, Metal Gear Solid, Ground Zeroes, a bunch of other stuff we played. We've got some news, uh, especially the virtual reality uh, revolution, which is, is happening as we speak. And, Which Sean uh, is obsessed with. I love it. So we'll get to that shortly. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. It's been a while. Uh, three months, I guess. And I know you've been busy, Huck City. Oh, I sure have, yep. Kind of had a life change, actually. I've recently left Drinkbox Studios and have decided to become a full-time stay-at-home dad while now working on Citizens of Earth also on the side. So basically I'm working two full-time jobs between childcare and trying to, to work on that game. So it's been a little different change, not as much time to play games, but I've found some time to put some games together and have something to talk about. So why don't you give us the lowdown on Citizens of Earth because there was some big news announced in the past week or so. Sure, yeah. So Last week, we announced uh, we have a partnership with Atlas. They're a publisher, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, we are planning to currently targeting release in September 2014, well, this year. And so far, we're targeting PC, which includes Mac, Linux, Windows, uh, 3DS, Wii U, PS4, and Vita. So pretty large cross-section of platforms so everyone should be able to pick it up uh, that listens to the show and and uh, hopefully it runs perfectly on all of them because that's what <laughs> I'm going to be doing. That's basically what I'm trying to get done. Well, I mean, from what I have seen of indie games, that's a pretty aggressive number of platforms to launch on for such a small team. It sure is. Right now, we basically have myself and one other guy doing the ports. Uh so it's not really a big team when you're talking about that many ports, although we are um, getting other people to do the Mac and Linux stuff. But at the same time, we're probably not a typical indie indie group, indie company, where uh, myself and the other guy doing the ports, we each have, you know, I think eight plus years between the two of us, we each have eight plus years of experience. So... We have experience, whereas a lot of other indies are really just, not all of them, but most of the ones that come out are just kind of fumbling around with uh, learning one, trying to make the game. And also, we are dedicated just to porting the game. We're not actually making the game really at all. Right. The other guys are doing that, and me and this guy are just bringing it to the platform. So we can focus on that, whereas most other indies, if they're trying to do ports, they're trying to also make the game at the same time, which is insane to begin with, so... We're kind of lucky in that regard. Right. So where can people find out more info about the game right now if they haven't seen the trailer or any of that stuff? Yeah, so 
atlas.com slash citizens of earth. They have a website made up for us. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash citizens of earth game, I believe. Uh, and there's also a, a teaser trailer currently up actually on Atlas's YouTube channel and also on Nintendo's YouTube channel, actually. So, uh, people can check it out there and it's gone up on a bunch of other websites too. So, uh, they could probably find it on most most outlets. Cool. So, um, I guess we should also mention uh, for people who you know aren't aware, uh, you know, we had our second live stream event, Game Junk live stream event. Uh, when was it? A few weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming live from Frank's retro lounge. <laughs> And uh, it was definitely a little more, I'd say it was a little more disorganized than the first one. Not that the first one was organized, but it was still a lot of fun. So thanks to the people who... Uh, I blame Dax. It was, it was definitely Dax's fault. <laughs> but uh, thanks to all the people who came and joined us and kind of uh, watched us fumble around with the Xbox One. Watched hey, Dwyer's Titanfall skills. Yeah. Even when you guys left, the select few viewers who stayed up with me while I continued to get juiced and play Power Star, Power Star Golf <laughs> until 3 in the morning, which was just a, a blast. Wow. Beautiful. So if you want to find out about future live streams, follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash gamejunk, or follow us on Twitter at Game Junk Podcast, or you can um, can you subscribe to a Twitch channel? I don't know. I'm not that familiar with Twitch, but I think so. Yeah, Twitch TV slash Game Junk Podcast. Yep, that's right. <laughs> okay, so yeah, and we're gonna be talking about obviously some of the games we played there in just a bit. Uh, oh f- well, Frank, do you have anything that you you want to plug anything? You know, in terms of stuff you're working on in the game well, industry. Just, as I always do, I'll mention Lost Orbit. Uh, it's on Steam Greenlight still, although I think it was successful. Lost Orbit on Facebook or Pixel Knots on Facebook if you want to get more info about the game. And uh, it's coming along quite nice where they took it to uh, GDC and did got some good feedback implemented a bunch of stuff already and the art boys are just polishing the fuck out of it it is looking beautiful <laughs> nice um okay and I, I guess we should also mention that you are not here with us you are yeah at site b we are at site a so we're we're doing this via google hangouts and just trying it out seeing how it works and uh i don't know We'll see if if it becomes useful in the future, but... It worked before. It can work again. Yeah. So let's get into some news. Obviously, there's been a lot of stuff happening over the past few months, and you mentioned GDC, Frank. There's a lot of announcements happening there. Um, I I guess, you know, we got to start with Sony unveiling Project Morpheus, which is their uh, virtual reality headset and around the same time facebook announcing that they had acquired oculus uh and i think there's been rumors that microsoft is also developing a vr headset but i don't think they've announced anything that i'm aware of have you guys heard anything i don't think so so uh 
clearly it seems like something's happening here. Everybody wants to be in on this, whether or not it's going to be a fad or, you know, a, a, a huge thing that, you know, becomes something everybody uses in their everyday lives in the future. We don't know yet. But um, did you guys have a chance to check out any of the the videos or just in general details on Project Morpheus or sort of what's going on with Oculus right now? Um, I didn't see any videos, actually, but I read some stuff about the Facebook acquisition and sort of the specs for Morpheus that they're talking about right now. Um, sounds like both are pretty similar. It sounds like they both now use a camera to help with the head tracking, whereas I think the original Oculus did not. Right. Now I think it does. Same with the, the Sony one uses the move camera. And the only difference I can see is that the Morpheus will also have sort of like the move controller type motion control also embedded in it, where I don't think anything like that's really been announced for Oculus other than just normal controller support. Well, I think there's a lot of third-party people looking to add on stuff with Oculus, but I think Sony definitely benefits from the fact that they already have the move. Yeah, and so, the, like the DualShock 4. Yeah. Uh, uh, to me, it's it's just the main benefit to these VR headsets is camera tracking, essentially replacing the right stick. Yeah, I've heard some... I, I, I could not really see it being used for much more than that. I did hear some, maybe a separate technology that the infamous developer showed off where you could aim with your eyes and stuff like that. Right. I did hear a bit about that, yeah. And it would pick up your specific eye movements and use that to kind of as a controller on top of other things, which sounds intriguing. But uh, I'm I'm excited, and as we talked about on Film Junk, ranting and raving about VR, uh, in video games, it seems like the most sense to me. And I, I don't know. I'm excited for it. I think it'll be kind of weird to... I haven't tried an Oculus. I, I don't even... I don't look at videos of people playing Oculus where their minds are blown. I don't want to know. I just want to experience <laughs> it You don't want to see other people enjoying it. You just want to enjoy it yourself. I don't want anything ruined for my virgin experience with VR. You want this to be the Ouya of VR. <laughs> no, I will never play Ouya. <laughs> but I will try VR for myself one day. Well, I think... I I think I it's not open a VR set headset in terms of being a collectible. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting, uh, like that the eye tracking stuff. I mean that that can apparently work even without the VR headset, right? Like I've heard that they have just the Sony camera uh, running and and kind of tracking where your eyes are. I don't I don't know if maybe maybe I'm wrong on that, but I've I've heard some stuff about it, and it sounds. It sounds crazy. It sounds like it would be incredibly awkward and would not work. But everything I've heard from people who tried it, it's they say it's like super intuitive. Like it just you, you're playing it and all of a sudden. Like yeah, you're looking around at things in the scene, and and the camera's moving, and you're not even aware that you just did that. You know what I mean? Like that sounds pretty cool to me. Um, so I mean, even if the whole VR thing doesn't take off, that particular use of it potentially. Is interesting. 
Yeah, uh, that's pretty neat tech to be able to have that sort of stuff going on. Uh, well, we all know it's going to take off, though, because my boy Carmack is <laughs> now basically owned by Facebook, and he's got all the money in the world behind him to to yeah. push through the tech. So it's obviously going to succeed. Let's let's not kid ourselves. Now, there's been a lot of people uh, reacting very negatively to the fact that Facebook acquired Oculus and thinking that, you know, now they've become part of this big corporation and that, you know, that it's going to hurt them in some way. And, I mean, I guess I can understand the the distrust that is there, but uh, the fact is now they have a ton of money. Like, before they were in a situation where they had to keep getting money to... Yeah to survive essentially right now. Like they're not even selling a product to the public yet. Uh, now they have like unlimited funds and that's going to be huge for them. Now, whether or not Facebook, I mean, they say that they're focused on the gaming right now. Do you guys think that Facebook is also thinking beyond that? What, what we're doing right now? <laughs> no, I don't know. I was trying to point it for uh, I don't know. I'm thinking, could I potentially creep someone's house on Facebook <laughs> where they post videos of them walking through their house or just they walk around with a camera and I can literally creep their lives real time live. That would be a whole nother creeptastic experience on Facebook. <laughs> Other than that, I really, I don't know what they're going to use it for. I'm sure they have some cool ideas. Uh, for me, they didn't pop into my mind right away. I mean, for me, it's like, like let's get the actual cyberspace going here. Like, when I go to visit somebody's website, I want to put on a headset and navigate through, like, a 3D grid of, like, buildings and connections to get to their website. You want to navigate the Unix system of Jurassic Park. <laughs> you want to exactly. watch that file. <laughs> he knows it. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, have, has anybody heard anything about dates in terms of when either of these... Like, I've heard Oculus will be sold to the general public by the end of the year. I haven't heard any confirmed dates or anything myself, no. No? I have no idea what the status of Project Morpheus is. But, um, I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. It looks a million times better than Oculus Rift. Yeah, I, I was kind of looking at some pictures today, and... You know, Jay on, on Film Junk had mentioned that he got to play around with an Oculus briefly and that it was really clunky and heavy and it had this big strap and looked uncomfortable. And um, I haven't seen pictures of the new Oculus. I don't know if they kind of addressed that or not, but the Sony one looked like they spent a lot of time kind of trying to make it something that people would actually wear for a long period of time. So that's a good thing, I guess. Yeah, I think I read also that the Sony one has like a little gap in the bottom, right. which doesn't totally immerse you fully like Oculus does, where it basically closes off your eyes to anything, anything but the screens. Right. Whereas, you know, with the Morpheus, you can still tell your feet are on the ground and sitting and possibly see people sneaking up on you, which which may convince some people to, you know, go with the Morpheus instead of the Oculus. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, was there any other big announcements at GDC that you guys are aware of? Uh, I don't think so. Not that I can remember. 
Yeah. Yeah. If anything, I thought as far as GDCs go, it was pretty light on announcements. Well, wasn't the engine announcement that Huck City wanted to talk about? Didn't that come out of GDC or was that? Yeah, before? I think that did. Yeah, the Unreal Crytek stuff. So what? So give us the lowdown on this. What's so essentially what's happened is most likely due to Unity, uh, Unreal Engine and Crytek are now changing their licensing fee. It used to be roughly a million dollars per title per platform upon ship to use the Unreal Engine or Crytek. And now they're changing it so that it's $20 per user per month. Um, And I don't think that's per title. I think that's just a flat kind of like user rate of the engine. Right. So those tools are pretty powerful. And with a small team and a reasonable timeline, you know, you're looking at only spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars instead of millions of dollars to get a game out the door, which is huge for smaller studios. Like if you look at, um, I mean, we'll, we, maybe we'll go into this next, but if you look at a studio like Irrational now going down to 15 people, now them using a technology like Unreal is much more reasonable because they'll be able to put out not a super high-end AAA title like like Bioshock probably, but a, still a very high-end title with using tools like that. But it'll be nowhere near a million dollars in cost that they'll need to pay, pay Epic to put that kind of to game out. So for sort of that like mid-tier AAA, I don't know what their what the technical term is, but basically double A. Yeah, I guess double A games. <laughs> <laughs> basically, double A games will be able to really create higher quality content now i think with this change and uh you know going from having to pay a million down to ten thousand dollars or whatever you know that's just a lot more money into the pocket of of other people not the engine developers and it lets you know the engine developer probably go more diversify to more people and it lets more people make games so i think it's i think it's great i think it's awesome well they must have metrics on it about how many people startups there are just people working out of their basements playing around with game engines that they could be getting money from as opposed to sure you would think that the the people that buy unreal licenses are much bigger companies that can afford it they have more triple a end or mid-range productions going so they're just opening a whole new market and obviously if they're 100 person studios and or are bigger than that, those numbers are going to add up to a million pretty fast. Yeah, sure. Uh, over a couple of years. So I'm sure they've done their due diligence and it makes sense. But even in the case of Irrational that you were saying, Andrew, they were already working on a modified Unreal Engine as well. So for them, it would it's perfect. It, that They maybe had information that that was coming and it just it might have influenced their decision. Yeah, you take your top, you know, three, four character artists and, you know, your top two, three environmental artists and all of a sudden you can put together a game pretty close to on par with with uh, Bioshock, maybe take a little, well, maybe not longer than Bioshock, but, you know, take a little longer than a year, let's say, let's say a two-year project, but with a small team, you're still not adding up to a million dollars to license your engine anymore. And they probably already have the frameworks for AI, uh, yeah. other des- other systems that are quote-unquote irrational 
like yeah. have started from System Shock and onwards, and all that stuff already runs on Unreal, so they'll still be able to use that stuff. Yeah, and uh, all their programmers are all familiar with Unreal Script and stuff like that, so it's not like there's any ramp-up time to learn the engine. And it's just part of an ongoing trend of outsourcing in the industry. So, and contract work and getting closer to a movie-like model for financing things and people are just on one movie contracts and not having people on staff all the time that when there's busy times and slow times, it's just paying people for certain jobs. And if you get into a position where you are maximizing the people you have, you just get a few outside contracts, outsource what you need to and just keep everything smaller and expand when you need to uh, for really busy times. Yeah, I totally agree. If it's perfect. I think the other thing you guys um, haven't mentioned that's probably a factor here is it's all about, you know, uh, capturing the people that are learning to make games for the first time, right? Like, if you can kind of have them learn your engine and then they get into the industry and they're pushing to use that engine, then, you know, again, that's more money in your pocket. And we all know Unity has been kind of taking over on that front for a while now. Like I see it with a lot of the younger programmers that start at my work. They all know Unity. That's what they were taught on at school. And that's what they use for their projects at home. And that's what they know. So they come in using those tools and that mentality. And, um, you know, that benefits Unity. So Unreal and Crytek realize that, well, okay, we need to, we need to stay on top of this and we need to be in that game. So that makes it a lot more feasible, I think. And I think Unreal started to do that by releasing the UDK for free, but I don't think they really saw the uptick that they were expecting. Right. I think the biggest driver, if anything, for this decision is probably how few AAA titles get made these days. And it just seems to be getting smaller and smaller. You have your big franchises, but everything... When you think of how many big releases used to come out and a lot of them would fail, that's just not happening right now. It's either a blockbuster that the... It's a tent pole that uh, publishers are putting tons of money in and they will make sure that game is good. It, it's very rare that you see, well, we spent uh, $50 million on this game. It could be okay. Well, yeah. I think you're going to see less. Uh, not that I've played it, but games that kind of just got forgotten, like Remember Me, that probably cost a lot of money. Lost Planet 3, not to pick on Capcom specifically. But it's just... Every, the risk is too big these days, and I think you're just going to see smaller and smaller games and more episodic productions uh, I don't know it, it, to me all these things kind of fall in line and it just feels more like Sean was mentioning this too a race to be an industry standard almost there, there doesn't seem to be an industry standard and if you can cost wise and how good your engine is be a no brainer choice for people uh, it, you're just it's going to make the barrier for entry for any other engine that much more and it'd be like, why wouldn't you? What is the downfall to using this? That's... Nothing. Because the more people that use it, the more it gets tested, the more issues get ironed out, the more people code plugins, and they, that's huge in Unity. The Unity marketplace for 
yeah. buying small pieces of code, and it's amazing the stuff you can get and how cheap it is on there. So it's opening up that whole marketplace, I'm assuming, for stuff for Unreal. So I don't know. It's it's good for the industry in general, I would say. Yeah, in, Unity really kind of changed it because I know when, when we kind of were kicking off as Silicon Knights, it seemed like the Unreal Engine was on its way to becoming the standard. Yeah. I mean, everyone was working on Unreal, and I think after games started to bomb with that high price tag, I think people started getting scared off, which is where you started to see like AAA developers not being not not being around anymore. And then Unity comes out, and all of a sudden there's this super cheap alternative. And like you're saying, Frank, with the marketplace, you essentially have this distributed development community where everyone can help each other. It's super open, and that's not what Unreal is. I mean, you had the Unreal forums, but it's not like you went and posted code up there when you came up with new, yeah, new tech. You know, you kept that internal to your company, and you know maybe you said, "Oh, I use this and that," or you requested Epic to do something, but there wasn't really any sort of public space for tech in the Unreal community. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you kind of touched on some of the changes that are happening in the, in, in the industry there, Frank, but um, we, we mentioned Irrational Games, and that was a big story. I mean, whenever I go back through the... Uh, I, I usually go back through the Game Junk Facebook page when I'm preparing for a new episode to look at what news stories there have been. And, like, usually 10 to 15%, maybe more, is layoffs, companies shutting down, downsizing. I mean, it's still happening, and it's pretty crazy. But now you're getting to the point where, like, well-known names, big names in the game industry are choosing to leave and and go off and do an indie thing because they just want to... They're sick of how big games are getting and how, you know, the budgets are huge and you can't take risks anymore, so they just want to do something small and be creative, and that seems to be the trend a lot of people are following, and that happened with Irrational. And I think with the success of uh, Double Fine, that people see it, that it is viable, you can do it. So I think that's helping. Like like when Ken Levine's just like, yep, we're going to close down mostly, and then I don't even... Are they keeping the name Irrational? I'm not sure. I don't remember reading that i mean it kind of was being framed as irrational is done yeah i know i know it said in the article i read that they're still working like ken levine's core team there 15 or whatever is still working under take two so it sounds like they still have a partnership with take two but i wasn't totally clear if they're going to still be under the irrational sort of like brand but i would not be surprised if they're taking a small team and making Bioshock Infinite on PS4 and Xbox One, and then maybe uh, prototyping a new game at the same time. It just—it seems like that. If you were gonna do that kind of thing, you would not need a huge team to do that. And they have—it's everyone's doing it, taking popular games towards the end of the last-gen consoles and making next-gen versions. I mean, it's. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a struggle to get those games running on PS4 and Xbox One. So it's just another chance to make money with that. Why wouldn't you take that and start working on something else? Everyone is doing that. Yeah, I mean that I'm I mean that's kind of I think it's a problem in some respect because 
we talked about this a little bit during the Twitch live stream, but it's like there's such a lack of content still for the new consoles. And it's because, you know, all these games take so long to make, and especially when you're dealing with uh, a new system and people are still learning the ins and outs. So, I mean, you've got the launch titles, which were pretty underwhelming, and then just a huge gap while people ramp up and try to put out these big games. And so you've got tons of, uh, like, for the PlayStation 4, they've got tons of indie games that could be released for PS3 or Vita, but they're forcing them to be PS4 exclusive first just so we we have PS4 content, like Towerfall Ascension, which is great, and we'll talk about it, but um, doesn't have to be on PS4. And then you've got stuff like what you're talking about, Frank, where it's just like Tomb Raider and games like that, just do an upgraded version. And then you've got games like Titanfall where it's like, okay, we're just going to focus on one section of what normally would be uh, you know, just a part of a full AAA game, the multiplayer, and that's all we're giving you. And I don't know, some people are saying that that could be the start of now we're only going to get single-player-only games or multiplayer-only games. Or if, if you get two parts, like a Halo the next Halo, maybe they'll sell them separately. The Halo multiplayer will be separate from the Halo single player or something like that. And, I mean, it's just, I think it's because the games are so big and they cost so much to make that it's not feasible. They need to get stuff out quicker, and they can't do it. In general, I'm fine with that, to be honest. Uh, I, I, in the past, and I've talked about this before, and I'll get into it again with some of the games we talk about, this idea of value in video games doesn't make sense to me. And it's almost ridiculous what people deem value for a game. When I think of you pay $30 for a Blu-ray, that's an hour and a half at times, and people are upset paying $50 for a game that isn't 60 hours of gameplay. It just... It, it's... It, it, I understand that people, not everyone has a lot of extra money to spend to buy games here every week, but in terms of what the standard of for value in video games is, it's getting a little ridiculous, and I think the industry is coming back down to size. So at the end of the last generation, everything's available, everything's ready. So it was you're making sequels and that it's easy to just keep adding on and jam-packing value into a game, but when you're starting over, this model of value gets completely readjusted, and I, I think it'll, it would probably look like some kind of graph that's climbing, climbing, and then when a new console comes, content drops, and then climbs back up again. So, I don't know, I just, I we prefer shorter games. We've been on record for that for a long time, so I... I agree, but I don't want to pay sixty dollars necessarily for a shorter game. Like you got to admit, Why, what's the difference? You're not, you don't even play the sixty dollar game anyway. What's the difference if you actually get to beat that sixty dollar game? And the money and time of the developers is put into making that six hour experience as amazing as possible. Why is that not better for everyone? Well, because the thing is, I know that there's tons of other games that I could pay much less for and get more gameplay and just as much enjoyment out of like I love all the indie games that are coming out now but I can't help whenever 
a AAA $60 game comes out, I can't help but compare the two now and think I actually probably get more enjoyment out of the indie game and I'm paying way less. So, I mean, yeah, I still buy AAA games occasionally, but not as much as I used to. And something like Metal Gear Ground Zeroes, like, I don't know, man, that is, I can totally understand people being pissed off with the value that they got for what they paid for that game. I am not completely disagreeing with you in the case of Metal, Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes. Uh, it doesn't feel like a complete narrative or a complete experience, which is the difference. If right. if the game f- feels like a complete game and it told a story more like an extended movie and not a 70-hour game or a, a Skyrim game, I mean, I am not interested in spending time in games walking from place to place and extending things for the sake of extending them and making me play a slow walk animation in certain situations to extend sequences. I mean, that, <laughs> that, kind, that kind of stuff I'm sick of. And I would just rather have a really fun game. And I, you, you say you get as much fun out of these indie games as, as the major titles, but... When it comes down to it, if you look at our best of the year every year, how many of them are indie games? Probably two out of ten. So not for me. Clearly says something. <laughs> no, you, you're maybe six out of ten, but you have a lot more. And your number one or two or three games are always big budget games. Usually. So that's saying something right there. Yeah, it's, it means that you know the Especially AAA games are still where you go for the absolute cutting edge you know, mind-blowing experiences, but on the whole, I still think indie games are way more interesting. But, I mean, that's not... I mean, my point of this whole conversation was not to trash AAA and not to be AAA versus indie. I'm just saying that it feels like there's a lot of trade-offs being made right now. And I think, you know, people are still uh, not willing to buy these new consoles. There's not a lot out there. Now, there is Titanfall and there is Infamous. Those are the two killer apps that are finally out there. But that's still not a lot. But the the uh, the Unreal thing, clearly that is helping smaller companies that would be quote-unquote indie make games that are closer to AAA with less time and less money. Right. So for me, as far as like the monetary value of a game, I think for me, it doesn't come down to graphics. Like I think AAA is more and more associated with graphics. But for me, I think it's almost variety of gameplay mechanics that are the value for me. So like if you take a game like Journey, it's two, three hours, whatever it was, but really there wasn't very many gameplay mechanics, right? There was floating and walking right. I don't know if there was anything else but I don't think so standing in front of a signpost or something and watching it light up but there's a little more a little <clears throat> more than that Huck I, I don't remember much but but isn't that like but you like Journey right I love Journey and I only paid 15 bucks for it you know I had two or three mechanics 15 bucks for three hours perfect price point I thought but if I were to pay 60 bucks for Journey I think I would be a lot more disappointed Meanwhile, a game like Tomb Raider has tons and tons of mechanics, way more than three. And I paid 60 bucks for that, and I didn't feel like I underpaid. Maybe I did, actually. I don't know. It's a pretty damn good game. <laughs> but 
if that game was 15 bucks, I would have been blown out of water that it was so cheap. Right. So I think if you buy a game, like Flower 2, right? Flower is another example of a game with very few mechanics that has a low price point. Towerfall, very few mechanics, low price point. So for me, I think I value games based on the mechanics more than anything else. And I feel that if your game only has one or two mechanics, even if it's the best game out there, if it's awesome, like Journey, I think your price point probably doesn't deserve to be $60. What about like a mini game collection or something? Then you've got tons of mechanics, but potentially low price point. Uh, I guess so. I mean, maybe that's the... I like I, I kind of <laughs> see what you're saying. I just think you're thinking about it a little bit like a programmer in the sense that you know how much work went into each of those elements of the game, and then the more Maybe, of them that are there, the more you feel like you got your money's worth. At, at the same time, though, I think the more mechanics you have... Now, they could be horrible mechanics, which could be a detriment as well, but yeah. usually the more mechanics you have, the more variety there is in the game, and the the longer it will take you to become bored with anything that's in that game, therefore extending your enjoyment over longer periods of time. So, like, I've been thinking... So, like, because I'm working on Citizens of Earth, I've been thinking about RPGs a lot, and I'm thinking that, you know, a lot of role-playing games that came out on, like, the NES era, they had, you know, the standard walk around, get in battles, do the battle, blah, blah, blah. But then if you look at a lot of the Final Fantasy games, they also had sort of, like moving block puzzles, they had, you know, dialogue kind of puzzles, they had a lot of other aspects to the game that kept you going. Um, Mario is a prime example of this, like, I think Frank was talking about it one or two shows ago when he was talking about the Catsuit game, and how, you know, Nintendo puts in one or two mechanics that you only see, you know, one or two times in the game, and that kind of stuff, that kind of depth of mechanics really adds value to games. And I think if you just like have two mechanics and you just grind them into the floor, you're going to get bored with it and you're not going to want to go back to it. And I think by having a lot of mechanics, maybe that you don't even really use to their fullest potential, I think it gives you a lot more value. And I think those games should be worth more. I don't know how you would actually come up with a metric for, (laughs) you know, defining what game is worth what. But in my eyes, I feel that that's how I judge the value of a game if it's reasonable or not. Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about stuff like Grand Theft Auto, where there's, like, tons of mini-games and tons of things, you, different things you can do in the game. You, you can play through the story, you can play through the side quests, or you can not do any of that at all and just make your own fun, right? Like, yep. yeah, those exactly. are generally the kinds of games that people say are worth the money. Those are the games that everyone who owns a console will buy. And I understand why. But... But I, I, I mean, at the same time, um, you know, Uncharted technically probably doesn't have that many mechanics, but I think they put them into scenarios that make them act like, you know, they're interesting scenarios. They're not just, here's another room with 10 guys to kill, etc. I Like, I was thinking about Uncharted, just like when you were mentioning the Mario thing, I felt that exact same way about Uncharted 2. Like, I remember discussing it with people and saying, you know, the thing that impresses me most is it feels like every scenario you get into is a different 
slightly different scenario and there's something custom made about it. That, they kind of do it with set pieces. Yeah. Which exactly. are their mechanics kind of thing. Like the train, super iconic. The, um, the airplane one in, in Uncharted 3, super iconic scenes, right? So those are almost like mechanics in themselves for those games, I think. Right. I was just saying, for me and Sean, two guys who buy games and never play them. <laughs> like One more yeah, than this others. Concept, this concept of value is kind of a joke to me, and I just get sick of... I mean, it's talk specifically about Infamous, Second Son, which one of the biggest knocks against it is that it's too short, and I couldn't disagree more. I think it's fucking perfect. And in terms of pacing, and it reminds me of Uncharted and its pacing, if not better, to, to have its pacing in an open-world game is insane and so impressive. And if Huck City's talking about... Uh, value in mechanics and how many different things are put into it gameplay wise this game is for him it is so good which but is funny because I wasn't really a big fan of Infamous 1 and 2 <sighs> but they had lots of mechanics it just didn't do it for me I played them both but I would still say I would still say though those games are worth $60 I just didn't enjoy them so on my scale it still is good <laughs> But even then, we're, it's bullshit. Because <laughs> tech, is value what people are willing to pay for it or or what? Because you could charge $300 for Call of Duty and people would still pay for it. Yeah, well, I mean, they tried to, to do that service where, you know, you have a monthly subscription and, and they give you extra content and all that stuff, right? Yeah, but let's be honest. If you can't establish value and what counts if there's no cap on value? I mean, if there is a cap on value, if nothing can be more than $70, how can we accurately evaluate value in video? But that's, there are, they're breaking that rule with, you know, their deluxe editions and stuff like that. That's and... not the same. I'm saying if you were to charge just for the game, Call of Duty, the next Call of Duty, I guarantee you they could comfortably charge $100 for it, not a problem, and sell close to the amount of of copies or the gross would be the same. But I think I, I think there are people that are predicting that might happen, that that will come to pass. Okay, and then I think that effectively takes the conversation of value off the table. It's it's a marketplace generated thing. Supply if and demand. Think Free market. Exactly. Free video game market. But I mean like if, we're what seeing if video games trade it's like stock. Like I'm buy you buy in early on these games and guess what I bought in early on Call of Duty. I'm <laughs> these games for forty bucks. You came late to the party. The value of Call of Duty is going up and up and up. Well, unfortunately, I, I the like value of fucked up system like that. <laughs> that would be crazy. Unfortunately, the value of old video games will will not go up until you know maybe twenty years later. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I guess. That kind of brings up uh, a minor news story, which is that in Canada, the prices of games did go up, and it's now uh, $70 or $69 is the standard price for a console game. And, uh, you know, I, I will say, like, I mean, the only thing I've bought since the price went up was Infamous, and I went out of my way to find a place that had a deal on it, so I only paid 60 and somehow I just it, it that extra ten dollars 
it feels wrong and it feels like I'm going to go out of my way now to not pay that any way I can. But, you know, it's been a while. You'll get used to it. Believe me. I remember, I think Mario two was 69 99 for Nintendo when it came out. Yeah. I mean, the, the industry just goes through fluctuations and whatever. I remember when I think Mortal Kombat came out for Super Nintendo. That was like an extra $10. I think it was like 70 instead of 60 or something like that. Like there have been examples of this in the past where people just thought, well, this game is going to be so popular. We can just jack up the price. And it, it clearly worked at the time. But I mean, especially when you're talking about a new console and, you know, the fact that uh, Sony's console, like people like, like Huck City, Potentially, we're waiting to see Screwed. if there's going to be a price cut or a deal, and now the price just went up fifty bucks. That's For once, crazy. being an ad- early adopter paid off. I couldn't be happy. <laughs> Fuck everyone else. <laughs> I fucking couldn't care less. Eat it. Gonna just have to smuggle one over the border, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it goes up to six hundred bucks. <laughs> Keep climbing, baby. <laughs> Um, all right. Was there any other new stuff you guys wanted to talk about, or should we get into some games? I don't really need to talk about any of the things. I feel like we covered the important stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, I'll just mention Last of Us PS4 edition. Can't wait. Yeah. Super excited. Oh yeah. So this doesn't I, bother I you. You don't. Tre- I love the trend of HD remakes. But it's funny because, like, is it even an HD remake? Because, well, like, I guess remastered, <laughs> next gen remakes. Bring them on all I, I, day. It's going from two times anti-aliasing to four times anti-aliasing. I I have the Tomb Raider uh, PS4 version, but I haven't put it in to compare. So, Frank, what's the comparison on that? I don't care. I just wanted to play it again. I know, but I'm saying for people who do care, is there is there a noticeable difference? I didn't notice that big of a difference other than Laura Croft's face and hair, which was a little bit darker. Her hair's a bit darker, which was a little off-putting. Uh, <laughs> maybe a little too uncanny valley-ish in the PS4 version. Yeah, Really? I didn't, I didn't notice a huge difference. I just love the game. I don't even care. I want to get another set of trophies. I want to get that 100% again. So That's you, all I care You're just looking and I might for an excuse. on Xbox One. Just start a new profile. I want the achievements. Why would I play it again and not be getting new trophies? Well, you can get it again on Dirty Frank version 2. I guess. That's a whole nother... <laughs> I don't want to get into that idea. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some games then. Should we talk about the Twitch stream? Yeah. So there's a bunch of games we played uh, live on Twitch at... Uh, site B at Frank's place and I guess the big one we got together to play was Titanfall uh, which you know I I don't know if it's actually I assume it's helping sales of Xbox One somewhat I haven't really seen sales numbers or anything have you guys heard anything about it no I haven't I know that the 360 version of it is still not out and they keep delaying it and I think it's pretty clear that they want to keep it Xbox One exclusive as long as possible to get people Conspiracy to buy Conspiracy theory, Sean? <laughs> Not necessarily even. I mean, I, I'm sure they've actually said that at some point, but... Yeah, I wonder how much it, it it's... Uh, the game's just not up to snuff yet. 
and how much they're actually trying to keep it down. I mean, well, Sean clearly thinks the game's running and has been running for a year on yeah, Xbox 360. Apparently. This is just literally holding it back to drive people to buy an Xbox One, and I love where his head is at. <laughs> he is probably I didn't I can't believe I didn't think of that. Oh, it's definitely. But uh, oh, it did it did actually come out last last week? I'm just reading. Oh, did the, it? The 360 I version. Know what the fuck you were talking about? Okay, well, I guess that they're, they they couldn't hold much, it back anymore. That's how much buzz has been around it. We didn't even know it came out, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. I canceled my Xbox Live account, so I guess I'm not going to pick it up. But um, but I did I did enjoy playing it at Frank's place for even just the short period of time we played. Because obviously, I mean, I'm not a big multiplayer gamer, and knowing that this came from some of the guys who worked on Call of Duty and whatnot... I was expecting a very unforgiving experience, but it, it seems to me that they had that in mind and they knew that this had to be a more mainstream game that everyone could jump in and have fun with it. And um, I, I don't remember if we talked about this on the live stream or afterwards, but I think a big factor is the, the AI-controlled players that are in the game, the bots, if you will, um, because it's not always clear if you're shooting another human being or a, a bot, but having them there and being able to kill some guys and feel like you're actually doing something and, and get your confidence up and, and you're in the game, that helped, I think, for me anyway. Yeah, I thought, it, I thought uh, the game always felt like there was something going on, there was always action around you. Um, I didn't really know. I mean, we only played it for, what, maybe 10 minutes each or so. So I didn't really pick up on who was AI and who wasn't. I just knew I was shooting guys. There was always guys around. There was always action happening. Um, going in and out of the mechs was pretty pretty fun. Um, I know I've read things about how you can call your Titan down and then jump out and kind of use it as a decoy, but we never really got into that. That was probably a whole nother level of competitiveness that would add more value more fun to the game which we didn't get into but i also had a great time playing it um i know i went on a run with just my pistol and was dominating everybody so gotta love it yeah less is more so frank obviously you've played a lot more uh titanfall than we have how like have you put a significant amount of time into this game have you been playing it a lot or did it kind of fade out not sean (laughs) I, uh, <laughs> I I played it a bit the day it came out, and I will not even get into the day before having bought Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare, trying to link my EA Origins account to my gamer tag on my Xbox One. It literally took me six hours with customer service. Oh boy! Trying to get this working. You must have been EA. snapping. I was. And I didn't want to create another origin account. I just stopped. Are you drinking Fresca? No, I'm drinking Nest tea. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway. It, <laughs> you got to point know. it at the camera I, I really liked there, it at Sean. first. I think my biggest barrier to entry to playing uh, this game is not having friends playing it. I mean, it's fun playing online. I want to have some private jam sessions, get my boys... You want to have a good old LAN party? Yeah, 
but you still have to have an X, an Xbox One. Like you guys need to get an Xbox Ones. What's the fucking deal? <laughs> there was that perfect time, the package. And then I sh- sent a link to Sean. I didn't see that. Get- like that was already the price in uh, at Walmart in the U.S. Yeah, but did you see the deal? If you bought that, everything else on that list, you got twenty dollars off of. Yeah, I wasn't that interested in any of the other so stuff. You could add, add two more games. You could have got Rise for twenty bucks, Forza for twenty bucks. You could have got every another controller for thirty-five. It was a no-brainer. <laughs> that was. The thing. <laughs> you just let it slip through your fingertips, and I could not be more upset for you. <laughs> but you bring up an interesting point. I mean, I think that's a big reason why they wanted this to be the big sort of showcase. Xbox One game is it's a multiplayer game and they know that if you play and your friends see you playing they're going to want to play and then that's the way to get everyone buying an Xbox One I don't know if it's working or not but apparently uh, I just from what I was just googling it says that the Xbox 360 sales of Titanfall are at 71% and Xbox One sales are 27% so and this is just oh, in total. The, yeah, and this is just in the first week of it coming out on Xbox 360. Wow. Is so, there any reviews? Go to Metacritic or something. I want to see how the 360 is doing. Obviously, it's not getting completely killed because it's sold almost 80% of the total sales. It's 85 on Metacritic. It's for the 360? Or I guess for all? It says 360. Jeez. Pretty good then. Yeah. I mean, to be I, to be fair though, I'm probably not the the target audience for this game. Just I prefer single player experiences. Yeah. Now there is a single player. Not way a campaign. How does that work? Like, is, there's cutscenes and stuff, right? Yeah, like these small cutscenes at the beginning and end. That I don't know what the fuck is going on. Pretty much everyone has said this in the reviews. It's trying to integrate some weird story with two sides fighting each other and I just couldn't give a shit about it. It's <laughs> it's 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 nothing. It's an embarrassment. Ouch. Do you think that if there was even like a really short single player campaign that that would add to your enjoyment of the the multiplayer game like sort of fleshing out the universe and whatnot? I think so, yeah. I always like to get started in single-player campaign first. Yeah. Uh, I guess the other thing that's kind of cool with this game is the the wall running. That seems like, you know... Yeah, those mechanics actually work really well and a lot better than I thought they would. And the platforming for first-person is really fluid. Might be the best since Jumping Flash on PSX. Whoa. (laughs) Bold words. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think even just the fact that they chose to make getting a Mac feel special, you know, like not everyone, I mean, maybe there are game modes where everyone just starts with a Mac, but the general gameplay is that you kind of have to wait around and then you get your opportunity to pilot a Mac and then you take advantage of it. I think I prefer playing as a pilot, to be honest. I, I really like the pistols that they have and... The other guns, I, I like both versions really. Seemed like it added a nice little strategy element to it as well, where you can use your mech at, just to blow guys away. You can use it as a distraction. You can not have it at all. So whereas, like, if you're playing 
completely in a mech or just completely on foot. You don't really have that strategic element that this game adds. Right. So what else did we play on the Xbox One? I know there was... Zeros. Yeah. Speaking of single player. Metal Gear Solid, Ground Zeros, was that on Xbox One? Well, we did play it either way. Uh, It was Xbox One. You've played the whole story, campaign, whatever, right, Frank? Yep. And how long did it take you? Sixty-eight minutes, I think. Wow. It might have been longer with dying, but my gameplay time was sixty-eight minutes. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. It looked nice, uh, though. It, yeah, it's it was fun. It's it's really I haven't played the extra missions. People they they say there's tons of extra stuff. The fun is replaying the level the or the game and doing it in new ways. I could see that. I actually will replay it again. I, I'm pretty sure about that. But I definitely understand the criticisms that this is a glorified demo. It's really hard not to. And I mean, unless this extra trials and all these extra missions are amazing, I, I mean, in a way, I was, felt refreshingly gypped by a game. <laughs> I was done it. I, I could check it off. I played through that game. Right. But I could if if you don't have a lot of cash, it is a bit of a rip off. It's it's hard not to say that. Unless you love Metal Gear. If you love Metal Gear, like I know Blake, one of our listeners, was saying he's played through it a million times and loves it. That's fine. This is for you. That's not a problem. But if you're just an average gamer, I would think you would be disappointed with the length and that's coming from me the guy who loves short games I don't give a fuck about value (laughs) I was shy and I think the biggest uh, crime with it is it's framed as an epilogue I guess and a, a precursor to Metal Gear 5 and I really don't even understand what the story was they tell you what you're doing in this little texting at the beginning. You're trying to save two people from a, a camp. But in terms of there being a narrative within that hour and a half, I would think you would take that opportunity, if you're going to have a short game, to tell a really tight story. We've talked about this idea of remember Steven Spielberg's game being a two-hour game that's more like an interactive movie and different ways of playing it through. Right, And I could see that working in this Metal Gear game, but they don't at all. The story is so sparse, and if for a guy who loves cinematics, and I do like the style of the cinematics, but in terms of storytelling, it feels like a missed opportunity to jam-pack a really cool, tight story that you could follow. Because one of the biggest complaints about Metal Gear is if you're playing Metal Gear for 10, 12 hours, it's so complex so you need to know this history of Metal Gear that it's you can just get lost and not care about it. And are usually playing that over a few weeks, not in a 10-hour exactly. sitting. So to miss the opportunity of a game that's this short and tell an awesome, compact story that acts like a movie feels like, for someone like Kojima, a huge missed opportunity. Well, and it just adds to the feeling of it being a, a demo and them saying, well, we were working on the new Metal Gear game 
And you know what? They really needed some new uh, content for the next-gen console, so let's just cut it off here and ship it. I mean, that's what it feels like, right? Yeah. Now, in terms of gameplay, is there some new stuff here for Metal Gear fans, or is it just the same Metal Gear with better graphics? Uh, I, I mean, I'm not the best critic of this because I haven't exhausted gameplay options. Right. But if it felt... It felt like Metal Gear, to be honest. Metal Gear 4, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. I think it's good. And what I kind of like about Metal Gear is, as much as as it's a barrier to entry, it plays different than other games. You're kind of relearning how to play Metal Gear when you play it. It's. I find most games just kind of, especially shooters and third-person shooters, there's like this standard control scheme now, right? That... If if you don't if you do variations on it you're almost hurting yourself. You oh people are used to this being reload. We have to make sure that it feels like a game people have played before. I like that Metal Gear, and I guess you would say this about Final Fantasy too. Those franchises make their own rules. I when I think about Final Fantasy, it's that circle was always confirmed, not X, on Final Fantasy VII and the PlayStation One Final Fantasies. And they kind of stuck to their guns, and they said, this is our rules for games. This is what we like. This is what we're used to. And almost having the balls to say, we're not going to change because this is what's popular in games right now. And sometimes it can hurt them, but I, in a way, appreciate that those franchises stick to their guns control-wise and stuff that's unconventional, they embrace it rather than trying to fit into the norm. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the differences would be that Metal Gear, that you have the first-person view, but you can't move and shoot in first-person view, right? Unless they've added that in recent versions. Yeah, they might have added that. I'm not sure. I don't. I never play in first-person. Yeah, but, I mean, it's always been very much, uh, you know, third-person game, stop, aim, shoot, move on. It's not like a run-and-gun type of game. Yeah, I would say this one is maybe a bit more run and gun. But oh, again, so, uh, Metal Gear is all about the way you play, right? You could play it traditional Metal Gear, Metal Gear, very slow, stealthy, and it still works in that context. That's always been, especially with Metal Gear 4, what makes it interesting, the variety of ways to approach missions. Right. Okay, so what else? Well, I know... Just as we were getting to your place, you were playing Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare, and I you, I know you're raving about this game. Well, I wouldn't say raving. I haven't played it that much, but the brief time that I played it as a another casual attempt to leech onto the first-person shooter market, or third-person shooter, online competitive shooter market, I think it's kind of fun and different and works, and... I like Plants vs. Zombies and the universe, and I like the art style. So, I mean, for for forty bucks, it's it's fun, and I haven't exhausted all the gameplay modes and some of the more team-based horde mode type things. But in terms of the deathmatch, it was interesting, and I don't know. I keep meaning to revisit it more. I just kind of got sidetracked to the few other single-player games that I wanted to beat. So that one is also multiplayer only? Correct. Interesting. Both EA games 
may be worth mentioning. Right. Uh, what else? Was there... Well, we played some Rise, which I have since finished the campaign. Okay. And? Now, I'm I'm going to go on record. Uh-oh. It's, it's not amazing, but Rise has been one of the most overlooked games of the next generation. Really? Yeah. I mean, the knock is it's repetitive, which I would not disagree with. But what I was most impressed by is in terms of... It reminded me of Uncharted in its visual pacing. Every, every level has a different look, surprisingly, uh, color-wise, color scheme-wise, location. I always felt I was going somewhere new for the most part. And while the gameplay can get repetitive, what I... I felt I played this game almost in chapters. And you could say whether that's a bad thing about the game, but I would play it for a bit, put it down, and I was looking forward to coming back, playing for a bit, I'd get my fill, and that's how I kind of tackled the game, which is rare, but it works in the case of Rise. I think that's the way to play Rise. And technically, graphically, it looks amazing. Probably one of the best up until Infamous of, of the next-gen consoles, for me anyway. And this is a small thing, but it has the best menu system ever. Really? One of the best. It, it, it's The main menu is the menu for the game all the time. There's no separate menus. You start the game with the pause menu, essentially. And everything is accessible from there. Multiplayer, the way they track progress is artistically extremely impressive and just a single point of entry for the game which I think is very good at portraying information and looks good and is easy to understand I was super impressed with the menu it's not something you usually hear raved about <laughs> yeah I think it when, should be yeah I think when Dax was playing it at your place we were saying how it is like an artist's wet dream because it just looks so pretty. I mean, he was gushing over the animations. Um, I know like the environment art was pretty impressive. Like you were saying. Um, and I think we, I don't know if we talked about this on that Twitch channel, but how I got the feeling that that game was like a game where it's getting low reviews because reviewers are being forced to play it in one quick kind of like go and that's yeah. more of like a slow burn game where you know you play a bit you enjoy it you start to get sick of it you put it down you come back to it later and it would still maintain that that enjoyable aspects of it but only for a short period of time and then you just kind of like that's like the slow burn through it and I don't I don't think anyone like I know reviewers don't have the time to just do that and I think that I think there are more and more games out there like that that are, you know, shit upon by reviewers because if you, you know, overplay their mechanics, they do get boring and they do get frustrating. But taken in smaller chunks, they're enjoyable. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I've heard some debate over that um, with regards to, you know, how people review video games. But, you know, I, I guess it depends because I, I think that, I always feel that like when I'm into a game and I'm playing it a lot and going back to it a lot, I'm getting a lot more out of it and I'm generally enjoying it more. So I don't, I feel like most games 
are better if you play them as a streamlined experience. But I guess I agree. I agree with that though too. But I guess yeah, there are probably some exceptions. And I agree, it looks awesome. I just I I, I think it, I'm wondering why. I mean, maybe it was more of a, a choice to be a little bit more historically accurate. But it's like, you know, your main character just feels so slow and, like, weighed down by armor. And, like, you know, it's not a, a, a crazy action game where it, it, you feel powerful and fun. It's, it's I don't know, it feels slow and sluggish a little bit. I didn't necessarily get that. I just think it's different in the way it approaches combat. And it is limited. I get that. I just think now that it's $40, $30, it's, in terms of value <laughs> maybe a, a, a better price point for people out there and I, I don't think they should necessarily look directly at reviews for that game and if there's demos they should give it a try right so should we jump to some PS4 stuff or was there any I'll, other Xbox One I'll games? add one more Xbox One game that I've been playing the shit out of which is Peggle 2 ah uh, yes almost, <laughs> almost have I'm missing one achievement for the full thou on that. Probably the first time I've thousand a game in whew, at least a week. Since I did, no, it might be since I did it live on Game Junk. Really? I don't know if I've thousand a game since then. So uh, big milestone, big comeback for my Xbox One phase recently. And uh, Peggle too. I, when I first got it, I was kind of eh, yeah, it's Peggle. Not 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 a lot new here, but. Now I love it in terms of the challenges and trials and all the stuff going on. I love it. I, I was pretty addicted to it for a while. So I've hit a few ch challenges that are proving to be a challenge, if you can believe it. And, uh, it's <laughs> I don't believe it. It impeded my progress, but I still love the game. I just want it to come out for a portable device. And I just want it never to come out for you to be able to play it unless you buy Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, out of all the games, it is the game that makes me want an Xbox One the most. But um, All right, so PlayStation 4, I mean, I think the one we spent the most time playing uh, was probably Towerfall Ascension. Yep. Which is a four-player multiplayer game. Another multiplayer-only game, although obviously it's it's an indie game. It's lower price point, kind of retro graphics and whatnot. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I had a blast with it. I just, you know, it's one of those games where it's like I wish I could buy it and, and play it at home, but I have no one to play with here, so... I don't. I, again, there is some single-player stuff with this one, I believe. Did you try any of that, Frank? Briefly, not not much though. Right. So, is it just playing against computer-controlled opponents, or is it challenge yeah, essentially stuff? Enemies, kind of like I don't know, bubble bubble. Would that be accurate a bit? Like, sure. Yeah, just reminded me of that. Just introduction to mechanics and stuff like that that you use in multiplayer. Bubble Bobble? Yeah. Isn't that the one where there's all the levels and you're capturing them in bubbles? Like, if you take the bubble mechanic from Bubble Bobble... Like, you keep moving up a level or whatever as you climb stuff up? Stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. That's oh, okay. Going. Sure, I guess. Sure. Not not Bust a Move, Andrew. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Bust a Move, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I guess just to, for people who don't know or aren't familiar with it, you know, four-player game, and you're shooting arrows at the other guys, and you I guess you have three arrows, and once you use those up, you can't shoot any more arrows unless you pick others up or you if you get some sort of power-up or something. And you can actually catch arrows in midair and shoot them back, which I don't think any of us got good enough to really do that. But no, I don't think so. It's very simple, uh, uh, and there's not a lot to it. But it seemed like the more you played, you know, there's there's a lot of different. It's got know, tight mechanics. Yeah, and you know, you can drop on somebody to kill them, or uh, I think there's like a melee attack when you're up close as well. There's also sort of like the levels wrap around the sides and around the top and bottom. So there are interesting sort of advantage, not advantages, but strategies strategies you can take where you can almost take people by surprise by shooting arrows in certain directions. That'll take advantage of the wrap. Yeah. And, you know, it has the, it has the little replay for the last kill, which Frank got sick of, but I think is a nice touch. Yeah. Stupid. (laughs) And I think it speaks volumes that, you know, uh, that Jay was also quite into the game. Yeah, we had everyone playing that one. Everyone was into it. Yeah. So. He, well, if anything, Dax was saying, oh, this is stupid. This is for losers. This shit. I don't get into this. And he got into it pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah. He wanted to keep playing big time. Yeah. It was a ton of fun. I mean, obviously, I think I was talking to Sean one day. The fact that there's no good local co-op game for PS4 is a huge disappointment, and this fits that bill, at least in some regards. Well, I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of local co-op anything anymore, really, right? Like, it's we've talked about this in the past, I'm sure, but I just wish there was more games like this. And I think there, there have been interviews with the, the developers. Right? I think it's mainly one guy that worked on the game, and people saying well why don't you add online multiplayer to this game and i'm sure part of the reason is just that it's more work and he's one guy uh but i like the fact that it was envisioned as a local multiplayer game and he stuck to that and it clearly has been a hit with people who actually can take advantage of that you probably won't be able to capture the same feel online Plus, I don't think so. Having to deal with the lag and everything would be probably more work than it's worth. Yeah. But yeah, definitely if you have some friends and uh you have a PS4, might want to check it out. Kind uh, of re- kind of related to this game for people who don't have a PS4 but have Steam or PC, I recommend another game called Well, I think you can get this on PC also. But there's another game very similar called Samurai Gun. Right. Which is very similar, which I had played before this. Um, very similar mechanics, except you have a gun and a sword instead of arrows and dropping on people's heads. And uh, it's basically the same style of four-on-four, you know, melee brawl. Uh, but it, it, too, is a lot of fun if you feel like picking that one up instead. Yeah, I guess another game that would be uh, a comparison to be made is the Super Smash Brothers games yeah um but uh other interesting little tidbit about that game is that it was originally released for the ouya so i would have thought frank would have been a pro at this game by now (laughs) if i had opened my ouya perhaps (laughs) uh 
that uh, brown brushed metal system is just appreciating every day. <laughs> it's going to be worth thousands. Oh, yeah. Thousands of pennies. So, what else did we play for PlayStation 4? The only other thing I had written down here was Outlast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I played that briefly. Yeah. Frank, Frank Peter's Pants. Like so this is the survival horror game. Is it still free on PlayStation Plus? I'm not sure, to be honest. I know it was initially. Um, and this was out on Steam or for PC a while back, but is now out for PlayStation 4. And, um, you know, we got a brief taste of it. it kind of, I like the idea that it was almost like a take on, like, the found footage films in video game form because it's you have a video camera and you have to use the night vision feature on that, and you're trying to capture video footage because you're like a journalist or something. I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Um, the unfortunate problem with games like this, and especially a lower-budget indie title, is the voice acting is terrible. And uh, <laughs> I think you pointed out, as you were playing it, Frank, you know, it was creepy and suspenseful right up to the point where somebody talks and then it just evaporates. Really? I don't remember. I was juiced. At that <laughs> but, uh, I just remember you being scared of that hanging dude. Yeah. And then wanting to shut it I mean, off. It's a fucking haunted house game. What do you want? Right? Yeah, like, that's, that's true. What I'm expecting. And well, and we didn't, anything, we didn't do any favors by, we didn't get it. Do any what? Sorry. I was going to say, we didn't do any favors by turning off all the lights and, yeah. <laughs> Making it as dark as possible. Of course, but for me, it was more how frustrating it was getting into the haunted house. Uh, I just, I this game got pretty good reviews or decent. And it's yeah. okay, but I don't see that. I thought it was kind of lame and maybe getting a little free pass. Yeah, we actually had to as an indie game, as a Steam game, which <laughs> we actually had to wait for the people in the chat to actually tell us where to go because we couldn't find that window or whatever around the one side. Yeah. It was a little yeah, bit game, confusing. Game's a joke. <laughs> I, I would have never got it if, if it wasn't free, so at least I didn't pay for it. Yep. So, what else? Anything for PlayStation 4 that we played as a group? I, I don't of. think so. Yeah. Okay. Well... Do you want to jump into some infamous then while we're on that topic, Frank? Sure. Which I beat last night and have already... This game is so fucking good. I started it up again right away and I'm already halfway through it again. Wow. I played for four hours more last... Well, three hours more last night. I played till four in the morning and I played another three hours today. I love this game. Absolutely love it. I have not... The pacing is amazing. How often you're getting new powers. Everything is so intuitive in terms of the map, the layout, how to accomplish things in the game. It, it does not make anything frustrating. Well, maybe one little thing that I'll talk about later. But I thought I would hate the protagonist. I thought he'd be this super rad dude that I would <laughs> want to kill but he, I actually like it and I like the dynamic between him and his brother more than I thought I would and the, the 
the facial capture and performance capture is awesome. The effects and colors are mind-blowingly good, and the integration of power sources is almost so good that it should have been obvious to me which things meant st- stuff in the game, and I didn't even see it coming. How you end up using things in the game later, all these things scattered in the world, I just kind of, everything looks the same. I guess the comparison would be old Resident Evil games where everything is in uh, like pre-rendered backgrounds except for some weird objects that are so obvious, and the way we highlight certain things in games now with these gloss post-process effects and mesh effects to indicate that's what you want to use and this is special whereas this is normal in this game it's seamless the way they create the universe so kind of like the yellow blocks in uncharted the ones you can climb on yeah exactly stuff like that in this game the way you know what's important is by your map and infamous games have always had the best maps and cool map ideas and i gotta give credit to grand theft auto Something might have done it before, but just the idea of tilting the map in your direction and giving you like a directional look into the world rather than top down is one of the smartest things to happen to mini maps ever. Uh, I don't know. I just no, I just wanted to keep playing this game. The small tasks in an open world game. I just want to go do the next one. I want to completely uh, do everything in an area, have it done, go on to the next thing to the point where I'm doing that before I even go to the story because it's so much fun. And most of all, the progression of powers and how much fun it is traversing the levels. The mechanics of getting around the city are amazing. The fast travel system is not great, and I don't care. I don't ever want to use it. I want to explore and get all the hidden stuff, blast shards, do whatever, and just use the fast, effective mechanics for getting around the world I, I i don't i love this game i it is really short i don't think too short in my opinion i think it's well balanced and paced and the last boss fight is fantastic well i really like it as well i i mean the world traversal stuff i was very much reminded of batman arkham city um, it gets so much better sean oh I was also reminded of City of Heroes back when I used to play that, and that was one of the most fun things in that game was just, you know, getting new powers and being able to, like, fly or jump really high and and cross a city in a single bound. And I like the fact that it's actually a real city, that it's Seattle. I mean, I I don't think it's, as far as I know, not that realistic, but, I you know, they have certain landmarks and things. It feels kind of like a real city. And the idea that it's kind of been taken over and um, and it's on lockdown and whatnot um, was pretty cool. And I was also quite surprised with the voice acting and the performance capture stuff. I mean, that was the stuff I was expecting to really kill it for me. And early on, I was pulled into the story, surprisingly, even though the story itself isn't groundbreaking stuff. I liked the characters, and that's really all you care about for the most part in video games. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I played a little bit of the first infamous. I didn't play the second one. Um, but this one, I don't know. It did feel like just all the things that any issues that were there before have kind of been ironed out. And it is now a totally intuitive streamlined experience. Anything that was frustrating or not fun before, is gone. 
like even just you know well like you said traversing the city like the 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 vents being able to you know come up right on top of a building and stuff like that like that's have you gotten any more powers yet uh smoker yeah i'm still on smoke oh my god sean this game is gonna fucking blow your mind yeah uh, oh my it is so good the smoke is a joke because <laughs> kind of once nice. you get the other ones you don't you don't go back to smoke unless they make you trust me the other well, ones I, are so good i and like what smoke I love, what i love is I mean, I would give... What games do I give credit for this for? Definitely Rayman Legends that we'll talk about. But just being creative in the source of things. I find with a superhero game, it's always the same stuff. And just like the way platformers, there's always a snow level, there's a fire level, there's a desert level. And it feels like powers are always fire and ice and these same things over and over again the power sources for this are unique and used to the game's credit to be visually awesome i i don't want to spoil i just don't want to spoil them for sean because they're that good maybe i'll put this question out there sean do you know or have any inkling as to you start with smoke power right yeah if you were to guess what powers do you think you get in the game and maybe i spoiled that you get more powers no, that's not a spoiler. Okay, well, what powers do you think you get based on what you've played in the game? I will tell you this. You should, if you were astute, I wasn't. I think you would be able to predict what powers you get if you were looking at the world. Rock powers? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got no idea. I mean, I would have just expected the usual fire ice uh whatever else water (laughs) no it's so it's so good i want to tell you but i can't all right well i I, I can't i can't wait for you to experience i'll tell you this sean when i started playing infamous last night i played like i said about two hours i played again for two hours today and i already had the second power so you gotta step your game up son that's all all Well, I've played, I would say, four to five hours. So I must be right on the edge of getting the next one. But I'm also at a section now where it's kind of opened up to more open world type stuff. And I have to say, a lot of times when I get to that point in open world type games where I'm presented with all this stuff I can do, I just say, no thanks, and turn it off because it's too much. But in this one, I was just running around, and every uh, at every corner there was something fun to do, and I was still totally engaged. So clearly, I think they've done something right there. Well, for for me, after playing and one hundred percenting Assassin's Creed Four Black Flag, those side missions and the game itself got so repetitive. It's not that I didn't enjoy it; I was just it could have been so much shorter. And missions where I'm following people are just boring and I've done it in every Assassin's Creed game give me something new and it the stuff I, I I'm sure you've done the graffiti stuff Sean where you flip the controller and shake it oh yeah I mean it's kind of goofy but at least it's something different I it's your choice whether you want to do them all or not but I mean it's at least it's a different idea for a side mission it's kind of a barely a quick time event that 
I could see people getting sick of, but I, I kind of liked it. And uh, just the camera missions, I don't know, they're just nothing ever takes too long and I, I know exactly what I'm in for when I start a mission and if I want to I can and if I don't I don't have to and I, I don't know I I am shocked by how bad the reviews are in this game like 8.7s and the Metacritic's at 80 and I it, it doesn't make sense to me at all to me this is finally a next gen game it feels next gen I don't know if they're just leaving this room of well it's next gen but we can't say it's the best next gen's gonna get so we can't get yeah. really high reviews i mean i just find it interesting to compare it to titanfall which you know again i didn't play a ton of titanfall and you know i'm probably not going to gravitate towards that anyway but to me infamous just feels like infinitely more next gen than titanfall did yeah and the effects are so good and how i'm talking about these different powers you get and how awesome they are in terms of traversal. They picked the coolest ideas visually, too. Smoke is just, like, scraping the bottom of the barrel visually compared to the next two, I think. Interesting. And it just, it's, a, it's a showcase for their effects, which are fantastic. Cool. Oh, Sean, I want to ruin it for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... And to, the, to that effect, the idea of how, how often you get powers, how quickly you get them, how it expands, and then how that incorporates in a way I didn't see coming in the final boss fight was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wonder if... Like, it seems like they could have padded out the game more because I agree, it's like every... Even from the amount I've played, pretty much every step of the way, it's a new power, a new power, a new power... And they could have stretched that out so you get a new power and then you have to use it for a while, then you get a new power. But, like, would that have made reviews higher? That seems so bizarre to me. Like, I don't know. I, I so respect the fact that they opted to do less when they have put so much in the game and could have added 100 side missions and even comparing it to the other infamous games where there's you know, 300 blast shards in this world that you're just scouring to dial everything back and just make it fun and well paced. And you want to do everything in the game rather than feeling like it's a chore to do everything in the game. That's when I, when I want to get a hundred percent and by the end of it, I'm like, I want to play and get a hundred percent again, only do it ev in an evil way this time. If you can do that, that is amazing design and, I just I don't understand the so-so reception to this game. To me, it's finally a, a good reason to buy a next-gen console. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Got my interest peaked here, Frank. I don't know. I, I haven't read that many reviews. I just read a few synopsis and bullet points about what's good and bad about them, and I don't know. I someone was telling me that. Uh, one of the big... Who was it? Why can't I remember who told me this? But one of the complaints in it is... Oh, my buddy, Bran. That's in the reviews, it's... Oh, the, the puddles don't splash when they step in them and stuff like that. Like, these expectations for next-gen and... I mean, who gives a fuck about stuff like that? I just want the game to be fun and look amazing, and it does. 
Yeah, it looks like it's an 80 on Metacritic right now, which does yeah. seem pretty low. Well, yeah, what else was on there that I'm like, this is that much higher? I don't know. It's it's fucking stupid, really. All right, well, uh, why don't we go around and go around the table and talk about other stuff we've been playing? So, Huck oh. City, what do you got for us? Well, I well, why don't we start with Bioshock Infinite? Ah, uh, yes. My, uh, I beat it. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and um, yeah, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It the first half was definitely really enjoyable, uh, and then I got Bioshocked and started having to backtrack everywhere. Um, when they start doing the missions where it's like, go to Comstock's house. Oh, you reach this front door, but you can't get in. Now you got to go all the way across the world to some other place that means nothing and find one little key and then, you know, spend your time there and then come right back and then, oh, it's locked again. Go somewhere else. That kind of shit turns me off so much from this game. But See, I don't remember there being that much backtracking in it. It was just in the last like one third of the game. Hmm. That's where I I noticed it the most, and maybe just because I was at the point where I was trying to power through the game to finish it for this show, that maybe it stuck with me a little more. But um, yeah, I I also found that I was I was doing stuff, but not really understanding why. I was doing it and not really understanding how the characters knew to do it. So there's a whole bunch of plot points that were really driven on like random chance occurrences just happened to happen at the right moment. Like we fought all our way to the airship and then yes, let's go. We're going. This is so awesome Then we perfectly get attacked by that bird. And now I'm falling and now I got to find Elizabeth again. And then I have to do this whole fucking run of missions to get guns for someone that I have no idea why you know where the guns are, why you know where this person is, why you even know who this person is at all. There's just a lot of like loose ends I wasn't really understanding. Maybe it's explained somehow, but I missed it. And it was just kind of, you're just kind of thrown in the fire. And as far as like, I think why I'm disappointed in it is because these Bioshock games seem to be praised for their storytelling. And for me, I'm, I'm at a loss to see how this is good storytelling. Like if you just drop me into a random town because you want to extend the game and then you make me go run guns for some random person for no reason, I don't understand why this is like a great plot point in a game. And so that was like, I mean, the gameplay was fine. It was fun. I liked fighting. Let's be real here, Huxley. The storytelling of Bioshock is, I would say, first and foremost, creating a unique world. Yeah, I agree. They do that, sure. Secondly, in Infinite, the story of Elizabeth. Okay. Thirdly, the ending, which is amazing, and justifies the title Bioshock Infinite, which is an accomplishment in its own right. Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) Sure, sure, those are all valid points, but I mean... mean, Getting hung up on a plot point about gun running, like what's the big deal? No, but I mean, it was like it—it it just seems so. There's, it seemed like it's just thrown in there just to make the game not five minutes long. Hmm. It's like y- 
you know, like the game could be over if you just did that first part where you save Elizabeth and then get in the airship and then just go. But then they force you down this whole path of run these guns and go into Finkel's manufacturing or something. Fink? Like, why are you going there? I don't know. It's just like the only place left in the world to go in this area. So let's go there next. And somehow he... I'm so... I'm so far removed from the game. I th- I think there's a counterpoint to these, but I can't remember what it is. Well, I'm glad you don't remember because this makes me <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyways, there's just like, I don't know. There's a lot of s- spots like that where I just didn't understand why I was going places and why it was going to lead me back to where I needed to go. Um, so I don't know. I found also... I almost felt there was too much stuff to collect. I was spending almost all my time searching every nook and cranny to find all the money scattered around the world, picking up all the food and crap that was scattered around, trying to find... I mean, I tried. I liked trying to find all the locked doors and things like that. That was pretty fun. But by the end of the game, I was just kind of overwhelmed. And, and once I had sort of reached that plateau of having purchased every upgrade and power upgrade I felt I needed or wanted and I was able to just start kind of running through the game without worrying about picking anything up I enjoyed the game a lot more again because I was actually just playing the game not doing this big hunt and peck search throughout every level um, I understand why they do that I mean it, it makes you search through the corners of the world and you get to see all the little bullshit they put in find all those stupid voice recorders <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, it, I'm kind of torn on this game because I did like the ending a lot. I thought it was kind of neat. Um, I'm a little confused by it. I was probably completely exhausted when I played through it. So I probably missed like a thousand points I should have gotten, but, um, I thought I figured out some sort of plot hole in it, but I can't remember what it is right now. So it's useless to me about how it would be impossible for, the the big twist guy to actually be touching the girl or something like that. I th- I thought he met himself or something like that, which I don't know how that would work. Um, yeah, I don't know. I were, thought it was good. Were you a fan of the first two Bioshock games? I didn't play Bioshock 2, and I hated Bioshock 1. Hated? Wow. <laughs> yeah, because they make you do that stupid backtracking stuff where you go, you cross an entire level... Only to get to a locked door where they tell you, hey, you need the key to this door. By the way, it's all the way at the other end of the level. And then you got to go all the way back through. And that kind of shit pisses me off. <laughs> I don't mind backtracking. It just, if the game's fun, then you enjoy going back through it. But, I mean, if it's just literally just walking, then that sucks. Well, it was walking with stupid enemies in the way. Hmm. But I don't know. I thought in Infinite. They had a good variety of enemies, of enemy types. I enjoyed the... Was it the Patriots? I enjoyed the... Uh, um, what are the guys with the hearts in them, whatever they're called. Uh, <laughs> heart attacks? Sure, heart attack guys. Uh, the normal, like, policemen guys were fine. I was a little... I remember being a little kind of taken aback. Um, the first, like, intro scene you're walking and you you don't have your gun or anything yet you're doing all this like nice pleasant walking around this town and then i remember you <laughs> go up to like the first cops you kill and they're 
I hit the melee button or whatever. Maybe you do that. You have to do that. And the guy's head just like explodes right in front of you. And I remember just being like kind of blown back that you go from this perfectly kind of nice world. And then all of a sudden it just becomes this video game of blood and guts. And I was, I was kind of taken back that it went to that extreme right away as like your first violent encounter. That's that's what the game's all about, man. I guess Just so. the uh, you know the niceties that hide <laughs> the truth, the, yeah. the ugly truth. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I I liked it. I thought it looked amazing. I thought it looked pretty. A lot of good effects. Um. Yeah. Uh, I'm torn. I don't know. I'd probably give it like a, a three out of four, probably. But at the same time, I wouldn't say I loved it. I definitely wouldn't be on any sort of top 10 for me. Uh, but the shooting mechanics are all good. I liked the powers. I didn't play with t- around with too many of the powers, but uh, I kind of found a, the one or two I liked and then stuck with those. And uh, yeah, they, they do a lot of good things, but they do a lot of things that frustrate me also. So that's really the main points I have so, to make about Bioshock. So Hux, Hux City, I hate to put you on the, on the spot here. Do it. I know you're not necessarily in control of design. Am I going to get a no backtracking guarantee from Citizens of Earth? <laughs> Probably not. Interesting. But what I do guarantee is you won't cross the entire world only to reach a locked door and say, sorry, you got to go all the way back. The key's in your, your office back of your home. That's what I can guarantee you won't see. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> Sorry, you forgot your car keys at home. Go home. Well, I mean, I don't think... Uh, strangely, when Bioshock Infinite first came out, it seemed to me like there was a ton of praise. But by the end of the year, it, it felt like it had kind of subsided and it wasn't yeah, it, even on a lot of... No, I don't think lists. it was, yeah. So I'm not sure what happened there if, if sort of just the first people that played it just loved it and then kind of more people played it and evened out or what, but yeah, I don't know. I do think that they did a good job of doing a lot of really subtle storytelling. Uh, like I think in a lot of previews you see Elizabeth has like that thimble or whatever on her pinky finger. And they explain that in the end really well. Um, and I think they never explicitly state that anywhere, though. As you're going along, you just kind of visually notice it, which I thought was a nice touch that they do stuff like that. And even with just, like, the posters scattered around the world, and I don't know, I never looked at any of those, um, what are those things you stick your eyes in? <laughs> like the telescopes and all that. Anyways, there's, like, other storytelling devices that I didn't really dive into, but they do a lot of that stuff really well. But I don't think it really elevated the game to greatness for me all right well um you know for people who say i never beat games i beat a couple of games Get um i actually beat the legend of zelda a link between worlds oh which you know was Your my number game. one of, of <laughs> the year so i thought that i probably should but i actually wanted to keep playing it and couldn't put it down uh quite honestly and I just think that the design, the the level design for all the temples is amazing. You know, like nobody does 
like Nintendo is so good at giving you a mechanic or a, a power or something. They teach you it and then they twist it and then they teach you something else and then they twist it again and they use it in a way you didn't expect. And like this game is such a great example of that. Um, the only real complaints I have, I thought they were going to do something a little more with the two worlds. Like I remember in A Link to the Past, there being some elements of, you know, you do something in the past and it affects the future. I don't think they did too much with that, but I remember there being some stuff like that. And in this, it was literally just two versions of the same world. One's kind of dark and one's kind of light. And in order to get from one place on the map to the other, you would have to kind of switch over to the other world, move over, and then switch back. And that was it. Like, there was no other interesting connections or, you know, doing something in one world didn't affect the other really or anything like that. So I was a little disappointed there, but overall thought it was great. I don't know. How far did you get in it, Frank? You haven't finished it, right? No, I think I'm on where you get all the, the, the other five temples and you can kind of approach them in any order. Right. Uh, I didn't get past that. Well, you might want to give yeah, it a look. Well, you know what? Another game I'm talking about, I'll reference this, but we're getting into sports playoffs here, Sean. Okay. Which means a two-TV setup. <laughs> yeah, or at least one TV and one portable system where I watch sports and play a game at the same time. Right. And I do that every night and every day on the weekends. So maybe. So we're maybe looking at some Zelda game. playing, maybe a little Vita. Yeah, but there's another game. Maybe I'll just say it right now that I started. That I think I might use for the next month at least and get my money's worth anyway, which is Final Fantasy XIV: A Realm Reborn. Oh boy! I bought this for PS3 and never opened it because Dax was playing it and loved it, and another friend of mine really enjoyed it. So I bought it and. Like I said, never played it. So then I saw you could change, use your PS3 di disc or registered version and get a free digital version of the PS4. You could convert to PS4. For free? And I could, Yeah. Wow. You, like, after you do that, your PS3 version is useless, essentially. If you want to play... Well, it's useless to you anyways. Yeah, so it was perfect. <laughs> so I put it in, and I got my free month out of it as well. And I got to play it before everyone else, which was today, for three days. Amazing. And uh, I really like it. I, don't know. I thought it was pretty fun. And, I mean, I'm not a huge MMO guy. Uh, I've played a bit of Warcraft, more for the artwork. And just, I found that, I right now, I'm I, it's early, but I'm finding this game less intimidating than Warcraft. With all the versions of Warcraft that have happened... I feel like once the Cataclysm thing happened, the whole thing changed, and there's I'll never get to do the stuff the people that first played the game did, and it's just, like, so much has happened in this game that I feel like, what is the point in catching up now? I just kind of like the artwork and thought it was cool from that perspective, but Final Fantasy, I don't get that feeling, and... I kind of want to play it more, and the combat's fun. The graphics are really cool. Uh, so far, for a 
a menu system on a console, it's it's working pretty well and it's pretty fast. So I don't know. I've only played for probably four or five hours, but I liked it. So it is MMO, like straight up, like like yes. Warcraft. Like there's no offline stuff. There's no no extremely similar to World of Warcraft. And you have to like party up with other people. You can't do a lot of single solo campaign type stuff. I've I've only done solo so far. So oh okay, really cool. And so far it hasn't been a problem, but. It wasn't in Warcraft at first, and then you just get to a point where you feel you need 10 people to play with, and maybe I'll hit that point with this game, but so far I like it. Nice. Yeah, man. Me? Yeah. What do you got, Hawk City? So I went on a couple benders uh, this past break. Whoa. Whoa. One of those benders was a Vita bender. Nice. And took advantage of the old PS Plus account. So I played a little bit of Lone Survivor, which was free on uh, PS Plus. Right. And by a little, I mean a very little. And I was, I, I don't know, I was, I was enjoying what I was playing, but I was also very confused by what was going on. I don't know if either of you guys have touched this game. I think I downloaded it. I don't think I've played it. Um, so there's, I don't know, I, I believe it's supposed to be survival horror Kind of like ask, but it's it's a two D sprite based game, right? Uh, side scrolling. Uh, well, I guess not side scrolling. Kind of open the open world, kind of I guess. But um, I didn't really get the horror aspect, but it was definitely weird, and I didn't really know what was going on. Maybe the horror comes later. I know I really didn't play that much, but they do do little things to sort of uh, get you thinking about things longer term so i i believe they you open a fridge and there's like some spoiled meat and you can choose to eat it or not so you kind of have to weigh your options like will this actually have a long-term effect and then if you go to bed it actually keeps a track of how many days have gone by so it also kind of implies there's some sort of timing thing you need to keep in mind i might go back to it but um it didn't really totally grab me the other game i i played Quickly, I, I don't know how far in I got, but I think I got to about the sixth chapter. Or so was Thomas was alone, which is a small indie game puzzle game, um, really about moving blocks over obstacles. That's really the quick synopsis of that game, and I was enjoying it. It has this like British narrator over top, which was pretty funny, and um, I was enjoying it. It was good. I played a little bit, but then I got uh, stolen by my real investment in my Vita bender and that was uncharted golden abyss and this game is incredible and I think that the guys who did it I can't remember what company it was but they definitely lived up to the uncharted franchise uh, mechanics and everything they nailed it um, yeah it wasn't Naughty Dog no 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 it was someone else um, I probably recognize it when you say it but um, I know some people were complaining about... I think maybe Frank... It you says SCE Bend Studio. Oh, Bend. Yeah, I think With that's development right. overseen by Naughty Dog. Yeah. It's the Bender. That's the Bender. The Bender. Right yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, so, there, like, really there wasn't too much about this game I found frustrating. Um, I did find 
they have this bounce mechanic when you go over logs. Frank, you played through this, right? Or both of you guys played through this? I played a good uh, amount of it. I played the first few chapters or something like that. Okay. So they have this log balance mechanic where you have to use the the gyroscope in the Vita to balance yourself so you don't fall off. Right. And they way overuse this to the point where every log I came across... I was just like, please don't make me do that stupid bounce thing. And luckily, near the end of the game, they start to taper it off where they don't make you do it every time. But I think when that happens in a game, you know that mechanic's been overplayed a little too much when you actually don't want to do... You, you're, you're afraid that it'll come up. Um, yeah, they definitely... Like, it was kind of... Because it was a launch title, there's sort of tech demo elements to the game where they're showing off the touch screen and... You can do the the scratch. Uh, yeah, the rubbings. The rubbings of the... Uh, the rubbings I actually didn't get as frustrated by. I'm sure some people got annoyed by it, but I didn't... I don't think I found all of them that you could, which was one detriment to this game. I, I almost felt there was too much stuff to find because in the original Uncharted games, there's, what, 100 collectibles, I think, in each game or so? I think so, yeah. In this game, there has to be... 300 or more. I mean, there's just... There's collectibles, there's rubbings, there's tons of stuff to find and do, but it's just too much. It's too much to the point where I'm searching around trying to find them and I pick up something and it's like 2 of 20 or 2 of 40, but then you go to a new level and it restarts with all new things. I was thinking it was more like Uncharted 1 to 3 where it's 100 across the whole game and that's it. I thought, oh, it's just 40, but actually it's like 40 per major area kind of thing. Right. And then there's yeah. these rubbings. And then on top of it, the way they split up the collectibles, it's they're set up in groups in these kind of journal pages. Yeah. And they all come from different levels, and to complete your set, they're coming from all over the place. Yeah, and you need, uh, yeah, you need like four rubbings to make one real collectible item, so you need to basically find, you know, almost like, probably 20 times four things of those. So there's just, there's just too much in that regard. But, um, the, I think the, they nailed the shooting, which I thought was going to be a little bit of, of a touchy thing with that right thumbstick on the Vita. But I actually found it was pretty, pretty reasonable once I got used to it after maybe one or two levels. Yeah. Uh, they also did a really good balance of platforming, and the combat, just like every other Uncharted game, I thought maybe because it wasn't by Naughty Dog, that might suffer. They might weigh too heavy on the combat, but they did a really good job setting up all the set pieces and and platforming elements. And uh, and yeah, just a really good game. Really impressed. Uh, I, I'm sure it's got a good Metacritic, but uh, I, I was really impressed with it. Well, especially for launch title again like yeah, that was one yeah. of the really smart things they did when they launched the vita is they actually had you know a brand new uncharted game like that that was the thing that sold me like right off the bat and um yeah when you look at the launch titles that were there for ps4 and xbox one it's kind of crazy yeah yeah for sure um okay so I the other thing I finished, which I guess technically I didn't finish because there's only one part out so far, is Broken Age, which is the um, double fine adventure game, which uh, you know started the whole Kickstarter craze uh, for a lot of people, and 
It was good. Uh, not, I, I mean, it's interesting because I had certain expectations, you know, obviously it being a Tim Schafer adventure game, point-and-click adventure game. And um, on the one hand, I wanted the nostalgia and I wanted it to feel like Monkey Island, Maniac Mansion, all these other games that I loved as a kid. And on the other hand, I, want, I, I expected and kind of wanted him to have sort of the, the next evolution of a point-and-click adventure game. And it kind of isn't really either of those. Uh, the one thing I will say is the art style is amazing. I don't know if you guys have seen any of the videos or screenshots. Yeah, it looks good. It has this real painterly quality to it, and yet... You know everything animates like it, like it feels like you're watching like a like an animated movie basically. I heard it looks 2D, but then you'll hit cases where the sprites kind of turn sideways, and they actually you can tell they're rendered in 3D, but they yeah. just are mostly a flat looking image. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the thing that's kind of interesting about it as well is there's two parallel stories, uh, one about a young boy and one about a young girl and they're both ones in kind of a sci-fi futuristic world and the other ones in sort of a fantasy fairy tale kind of world and you can jump back and forth between either of them whenever you want which is kind of nice just because you kind of get stuck in these games and that's always been one of the problems with point and click adventure games is when you get stuck well what can you do like there's not you're literally kind of uh stuck and there's no you can't just run around and kill enemies for fun or anything like that like if you cannot figure out that next puzzle you're done so at least with this you can jump over and play a different storyline for a bit and then come back and try again Um, but uh, I guess what we will find out in part two is sort of how these two stories interconnect there's sort of a it wraps up with a hint at that um, but i I'm curious to see where it goes next. But the thing I would say that maybe is a bit of a disappointment is it wasn't that funny. I mean, it it was it felt like even though it's a story that I think appeals to all ages, it felt like an attempt to tell a little bit more of a mature story, I would say. And there's clearly some interesting themes, like both of these kids are in these worlds that they have all these rules that they have to follow and they're trying to break out of that. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's an impressive achievement, just maybe not quite as fun or entertaining as I had hoped. Um, but overall the art was the thing that really stuck with me from it. So still looking forward to part two though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was only like maybe four or five hours for part one. So perfect length for me (laughs) and I'm ready for part two. Frank? Cool. Uh, quickly, before I forget, I some, there's two things I didn't say that were bad about Infamous. Okay. One is the launching mechanic for smoke power on the vents when you stand on top of the vents. Yeah. It's very finicky. And you almost are supposed... They don't explain it well. Now I know you have to almost dash into it and up rather than stand on it and press circle i was really confused so, at one point when you're climbing the uh space needle i could yeah. not figure out what the hell i was supposed to do and it 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 really comes into play a lot during the end of the game 
and I was getting frustrated, but I think I got a hang of, the hang of it now on my second playthrough. And second would be the ending credits song, which is a cover <laughs> of Heart Shaped Box, which is absolutely awful. <laughs> nice. And I'll say, brief. I'll say, yeah, I beat Tomb Raider Definitive Edition again on PS4 and enjoyed it. Uh, I briefly played. I entered the world of Skylanders. Swap Force when oh, it was on sale. Boy, and bought the starter kit. Have yet to buy any figures. <laughs> That's but, just opening up a whole new addiction no, for no, Frank. I'm really, I, I'm not even that interested. I just, I was actually surprised at how fun the, the the game is, and it's very colorful and wacky, and I don't know. I I, I didn't play it a lot, but I didn't dislike what I played. I was better than I expected, so that was a pleasant surprise. I kind of understand how where the appeal would be for kids and Sean maybe Kieran will be a big swap horse fan. <laughs> well, you know, one can hope. I know my nephews are really into it. Yeah. Uh, I beat the single player for Call of Duty Ghosts, which I really enjoyed. I tried to play it on veteran and instantly wanted to shoot myself. <laughs> I forgot how how annoying those games are on Veteran, and I I was reading and like, oh, this is actually one of the easier games on Veteran. The AI shoot you through the wall. I was not finding that. I was snapping, so <laughs> I've not ventured back into that game. But it was a nice, short, fun single player campaign with some wow moments. Uh, I mean, I think these games within our community kind of get shit on. That they're kind of everything that's wrong with games in a way, and everyone's just waiting for the next Call of Duty. But I've said it before; I'll say it again. The multiplayer is really good, and although brief, the single-player campaigns are impressive, and they do tend to put a lot of stuff into them, and they look good. Okay, Oxetti. Okay, so my second little bender I went on was a last last gen bender. I okay. think. So oh, wait. So PS2? I put PS2. I played halfway through Onimusha 3 Demon Siege. <laughs> and let me tell you, this game is Dark Souls. This is Dark Souls, this game. Really? Yeah. They have uh, the same. So Dark Souls has definitely refined the sort of battle mechanics whereas this is more of a button mash uh, battle mechanic thing. But this game, you collect souls, you upgrade with your souls. There's not sort of like the life and death sort of aspect of it where you, if you die, you go back and collect your souls. But as far as uh, the sort of combat to gain souls, one-on-one -on -one combat with enemies where you have to learn their style and read their style to block them and things, that's all there. Um, using your moves in different ways to beat uh, those enemies is is there also. I was just really surprised at... at uh, I really picked up this game just because I always wanted to play it. Or picked it back up, I should say. And I was really surprised at how similar it was to, to playing Dark Souls. Um, so if anyone still has their PS2 lying around wants to play a game like Dark Souls, it's a little, little less refined, 
pick up Onimusha 3. But I think a lot of people would say what makes Dark Souls Dark Souls is the fact that you die a lot and it's replaying stuff and the frustration of death and learning from death and I don't know if that's necessarily represented in... Yeah, sorry, I guess I should say that Dark Souls is definitely rooted in this game. I wouldn't say they're the same, but I can see where Dark Souls took this game as um, in, uh, an influence when they were making the design. Yeah, I was just trying to look up to see if any key people worked on that game previously, but I couldn't see anything. No, so. okay. I'll say this, Onimusha 1, one of my favorite games ever. I think I beat that game six times. Oh, yeah? So good. Oh, I love Onimusha 1. Yeah, this one was good. It's got Jean Renault in it. Nice. Pretty good, yep. And the other kind of, I guess it's not last, last gen, but it was Xbox 360. As people may know, it was just March, and March means March Madness, which means, <laughs> which means I threw in my my college hoops 2k8 and played a few rounds <laughs> and it was still amazing is this the last the last college basketball yeah. <laughs> game ever to be released i will never get rid of my xbox 360 surely because i had this game i remember loving <laughs> ncaa basketball for the n64 oh yeah i yeah. believe it, it this good. one is awesome and uh yeah i don't know if you i have two more games i played but uh go ahead okay um Okay, I'll mention Lego Marvel Superheroes. I don't know if we talked about this last show at all. I beat this as well, Sean. Well, I didn't. I sure didn't beat it, <laughs> but uh, I played a bit of it and uh, was actually enjoying it quite a bit. I mean, I think it's my problem was I played some of the Lego Star Wars games, and then for a long time I just kind of felt like, okay, I've played the Lego games. You know, I don't need to play anymore. And they just kept putting out, putting out more and more. And I always kind of thought, eh, I know that experience, okay? I don't need to play anymore. But had a hankering for, you know, kind of a, a superhero game like this with, you know, the, the option for co-op and whatnot. And um, it actually, I think, is kind of comparable to the uh, the Marvel Ultimate Alliance game and the X-Men Legends games. Like, it obviously doesn't have the RPG elements, but it feels pretty similar. And I think in terms of capturing all these different superheroes and their different powers, they did a really good job on that. So, like, everybody kind of feels different. Certain characters play sort of similar to each other, but everybody has their strengths and weaknesses and whatnot, and it works really well. However, uh, I know when we played it at Frank's place, uh, when was this? Like around Christmas or something? Yeah, the, the original the first Twitch. live stream we did. I know there was some some joking about mm -hmm, the fact that was. I I wasn't very good at figuring out what mm -mm. to do in this game. Mm -mm. I gotta say, for a series that has been around as long as it is, and is targeted at kids they really don't do a very good job at holding your hand through certain things. Like every level I would always come across something where I would be stuck for 10 minutes wandering around trying to figure out what the next thing I needed to do was. And it can't be just me. Like you just need was... to get your spectacles checked though. <laughs> you got it. I would agree with you, Sean. There, even I would say some, 
design uh, scripting is just broken in the game. Yeah. I, I, there were side missions where I was just, I'm doing this right. Why isn't this working? You have to do it exactly the way they want you to. Uh, I mean, this game is a Metacritic of 90. Which, yeah. Saying that this game really? is that much that high? better than well, I like it and stuff, but to say that it's that much better than Infamous Second Son is a joke to me. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to do. If that's what you judge a game being good by, fine. But, I mean, there's a charm to it. Uh, the mechanics, you want to talk about repetitive mechanics. Why do these games never get knocked for that? Like, well, every yeah. level is, is reskinning the same level, essentially. It's all the same. And... I, I like them in a bit, but I'm, I have not had the urge to 100% this game. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, I mean, I played it for a while and was into it for a week or two and then kind of lost interest, and I probably will go back to it again at some point. But it's, I mean, it's good. And like I, I think it is the fact that just the sheer number of characters they have keeps you giving you something new to do. Uh but, yeah, the games do get repetitive, and that is kind of one of the reasons why it had been so long since I played a Lego game. So, yeah, I don't know. I understand the appeal, but, you know, I think there's some problems here that I agree. I agree with you, Frank. Maybe a little overrated in terms of the actual review scores. Is it fair to say, Sean, that <laughs> Lego games get a free pass? <laughs> it does feel like that a little bit. <laughs> Although lately the backlash has happened. The Lego movie game and Lego Hobbit, well, taking some punches, gotta say. Yeah, I haven't checked the reviews for the Hobbit one, so that's I don't know why. I feel very strongly compelled to at some point watch the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy and play that game, Lego game again. Yeah? I just feel... It's the closest I'm ever going to get to a Lone Ranger Lego game. i got to make it happen. That's true, yeah. The, the Gore Verbinski Lego game. What else I, would you like to see a Lego game? Like, what other franchise should they do? Well, it's ironic that they there are Lone Ranger Lego play kits. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what would be a good one? I mean, it, it has nothing to do with Lego at this point, obviously. It's no. How can you reskin a movie or characters? Well, you know what, su- you know what I want to see. No, I don't. Lego the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. That is good. It would be pretty awesome. Do they have a I mean, Lego the movie the game? Yeah, they do actually. Do they? Yeah. You know what'd be good? Spaceballs, the Lego game. Oh, <laughs> a DLC for sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love that. I think I might have thought of that before. Good call. And, uh, also, Star Trek. Just got to point out that that's yeah. an obvious one. What about uh, Sean? Yes. You're looking at your DVD shelf right now. Yeah, I'm trying to get some inspiration, but I'm surprised there's no mention of a Dark Knight. Well, they did do uh, Lego Batman and Lego Batman. I mean, recreating the Dark Knight trilogy. That's true. That would be interesting. Tarantino? 
Lego? <laughs> <laughs> eh, might be a bit of a conflict kill, of... Uh, kill Bill Lego? <laughs> I think it would be amazing, to be honest. Kill Lego Bill? Yeah. All the movies have violence and... <laughs> I think you could do a cool Tarantino Lego game. I'll, I'll go on the record right now with that. <laughs> okay. What else do we got here? Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. Good call. Adam Sandler Lego game. Uh, what else? Okay. We're done with the Lego games. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they should Moving do? On. They should do a Lego... A video game Lego game. So it's like Lego take on popular Mario. video game franchises and characters. What about this, Sean? Cornetto Trilogy. I'm in. Lego. With Scott Pilgrim bonus DLC. <laughs> I don't know. Born? Born Lego? Yeah. That's my jam. Sure. Oh, Alien. Oh. Alien's got to be the one. That's got to happen. And then eventually, Terminator? Yep. Man, there's so this this franchise could go we'll on go for forever. forever. <laughs> kind of like this conversation. <laughs> just, just wait till there's a full series of Avatar. You know that's coming down the Lego pipeline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Huck City, you're, you're uh, dying to okay. move on to something yes. else. Yes. So I played uh, Splinter Cell Blacklist. Okay. And have you guys both played this or no? A little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I played the first few levels and liked it. I wanna. I hear it's kind of short, so I almost just because and I know people that worked on it. I want to find a day and just play it the whole way through because those stories can be a little complex with the political stuff, and I kind of just want to have a chance to beat it in one sitting. Yeah, it was it was short, but um, it was longer. I think for me than uh, most like re- reviewers are saying. I think some reviewers are saying like six to eight hours. I think it took me a little longer, like ten to twelve. Um, and I think it's because f- what they did is they really captured what I would consider to be like the main Splinter Cell level design philosophy, which is make it sh- a small level with a bunch of different ways to do it and your AI patterns are basically the same and you have to kind of figure out the maze. So you'll die a lot, but once you figure it out, you kind of like feel like you earned it. And, um, they really catch that well, especially the last level is super, is quite a bit larger than any other level they've done, but it's really rewarding once you figure it out. They also have no maps, so you really you really have to memorize what you're doing. So that can be frustrating, but I feel like the mechanics in this game are solid enough that you're not dying because it's being cheap. You're dying because you made a mistake, which is always very, very good. Um, the stealth aspects are really good. I do miss the old Sam Fisher voice, though. I noticed it right away. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a detriment to me, but I got over sorry, it. Sorry, Huck. Also, to add to that, we didn't mention, because it was tough to hear when we were playing, the the change of voice and Solid Snake to Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which yep. I also found to be quite jarring. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one really blatant uh, design... 
problem I had in this game was one level um, right at the end of like a really long stretch with no checkpoint. They put a new enemy and they didn't really explain to you how to beat this new enemy. So I ended up dying there quite a bit because I didn't really capture, I guess, the tutorial or whatever that they were trying to teach me. And then eventually I just found a way where I could actually get above him. And then I just shot him in the head from above <laughs> instead of actually trying to like sneak up on him and fight him that way. So I don't know if that was by design, but the the way to get back to that guy took me a few tries that were a little more frustrating to get around. And that was more because you had to wait any any time in a Splinter Cell game where you kind of have to like wait a long time for the guards to go the proper way, I find is a little frustrating. But they did a pretty good job avoiding that in this game. Usually you could get around. Um, I found that the the facial expressions, kind of like how you guys were talking about in, in Infamous, I'm sure this game doesn't compare to that, but I found they were really good in this game compared to a lot of other kind of PS3 titles. Uh, let's see what else we got here. The, oh, at the end of the game, they actually did something I was not expecting. It actually threw me for a loop. And they actually uh, have you do a couple levels as your partner. But those partner levels are actually first-person shooters. So you, you play in the Splinter Cell as a first-person shooter game now, which was a little jarring at first. But I, I like that they did that, actually, in retrospect, just because it makes you feel like Sam Fisher and this other guy are very like two very distinct types of people. Well, is that also incorporating the Mercs and Spies multiplayer game into the campaign then? Is that what that is? Um, I don't know what that... I didn't play that mode, so I'm not sure. And I don't know what that is, but I I don't think it's incorporating that. This is like part of the story where... Okay. But like, Frank, have you played that before, the multiplayer mode? I thought no, it was I like... It on original Xbox. I could have sworn it was like, you know, one side is like first person and then the other side is third person. Or I could be wrong, but... Maybe. Yeah, it could be right. That might be it. But um yeah, I thought it, I I thought it was a nice little like fresh take right near the end of the game, maybe right when the stealth mechanics were getting a little old for people. It was kind of a nice change of pace. But I, one thing about that actually cuz I know like I think sometimes that's cool. Like usually you get to the end of a game and you want it to be different, unique, something memorable. But there's other games where, you know, you get to the end and they totally change the entire mechanic on you and it's frustrating as hell. Like, I'm trying to think of examples. I feel like maybe the first God of War was like that. I don't remember exactly what that boss fight was, but I just remember, like, you know, it's something where you've learned the whole game to do a certain thing. And instead of sort of taking that and using it in a cool way, it's like, okay, we, we're ripping all that stuff away from you, and now you have to do this other thing instead. And it's, I don't like when they do that. Yeah, I... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Frank. Almost all, the, almost all the God of War bosses are like that. Definitely. I, are you thinking in the first one when you fight the huge version of Ares and... Maybe. It's been a while. Like, I don't still remember. kind of have the parry mechanic there, but that's definitely a good point. There are a few bosses like that. I wish I could think of them off the top of my head. Well, I remember the is it God of War three the Hydra boss like the first big boss you find. I remember that boss took me a while because I was trying to figure out how to actually beat him. But you know sometimes 
boss fights like that where there's sort of a puzzle mechanic to it are really enjoyable. This game though, the it wasn't frustrating, but it was just more jarring because you've become conditioned to playing a third person stealth game and then all of a sudden you're playing a first person shooter. Right. So the only thing that was frustrating about it was that there was the shift in mechanics that you weren't expecting. And uh yeah, but I mean the mechanically the it, the gameplay was good. So that's really it. I, I really enjoyed the game. I'd probably give it a three and a half out of four. And uh, the length wasn't really an issue for me. I thought they really nailed the Splinter Cell feel. Um, a lot of the gadgets were really neat. And yeah, I just enjoyed it. It's good. Good job, Ubisoft Toronto. Nice. Um, okay, I got uh, one thing I'll talk about in detail and then just a bunch of quick rapid fire things. Um, but got to bring back the mind fuck of the month. Yes, of course, finally. <laughs> and uh, this month, I played a game called Jazz Punk. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's only on Steam right now, I believe. I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it. The title tells you absolutely nothing about the game, which is kind of awesome in itself. But it's this really strange, kind of surreal game. It's a first-person perspective, but it's not a first-person shooter. It's more of, I guess, sort of an adventure game. And you are you play a spy, and you're kind of put into this uh, Cold War kind of environment. Oh, my God. A mind-fucked spy game? <laughs> that's that's but indie? Could there be a more Dwy Guy game in the world? <laughs> exactly. But... It's the actual spy elements are not that. I mean, the music and stuff is there, and I like that a lot. But there's so many strange detours in this game. Like you're you're walking around, and like people talk, and they all have like weird voices with like strange effects on them and stuff, and they're like sped up or slowed down. And like you know, you go into an alleyway, and I think I remember there's like a pizza box, and you you open the pizza box. And you take a bite of the pizza, and it's like old pizza, and suddenly you like uh, start hallucinating. You're tripping on mushrooms, and you go into this <laughs> other level where you're fighting off zombie pizzas with like a pizza cutter and stuff. Like just all these crazy asides, and it's just so random and hilarious that it's definitely a mind fuck. Uh, but it's it's just I don't know a lot of fun. And I can see a lot of people hating it, but it's. I thought it was super creative. The opening credit sequence is awesome. Uh, and surprisingly enough, I think it was developed by a couple of guys in Toronto, although I believe it was published by Adult Swim Games, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep, looks like it developed on Unity. Yeah, and so Adult Swim Games, they've actually been doing some interesting indie stuff lately, publishing some cool stuff, so... Uh, definitely recommend Jazz Punk, and I don't know if it's if there's any plans for a console version, but I'm sure you can get it for cheap on Steam, the next Steam sale. So check it out. Uh, oh, and I guess just to run through the other stuff I played, I'll mention Strider real quick on PS4. I haven't played as much as I had been wanting to, but Frank was nice enough to point out new Metroidvania game. <laughs> so obviously I had to download it. I vaguely remember playing the original Strider, but this very clearly is taking Metroid elements and sort of applying it. 
And it's almost like Ninja Gaiden meets Metroid is sort of my initial impression. It's very fast-paced, um, but I was definitely liking it. Uh, played Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. I think I'm about halfway through it. You guys both played this, right? Yep. Yeah, I Just a taste. I felt like I need. it was on a lot of top tens and thought that I needed to vet it for my top ten list, and it got vetted. It's okay, but definitely not top ten worthy. Well, you might uh, you might want to give it a little bit more of a chance. I don't know how much you played. I thought the first level or two were kind of slow, but then it really picks up, and I was really enjoying it. I, I think the, the main core mechanic of sort of controlling these two uh, brothers, like one with each thumbstick, I think is really interesting. Like, I think you can do so much fun stuff just with having to coordinate the movement of two of them at the same time alone, but then they do other cool things as well where, like, one has to move something while the other one runs through. And and it's weird because it seems like it should be a game that was designed for co-op, but it's only you can only play it single player. You have to play it with a single controller using one thumbstick for each character. And I think sticking to that is a pretty interesting idea and i think thematically it's it's interesting because it's you know i like games where the gameplay plays into the themes of the game and the idea of these two brothers having to work together despite their differences and fighting with each other kind of is is there um and i'll mention tearaway which i know you liked frank played i, I think i'm past halfway now and i'm enjoying it quite a bit uh not really that challenging of a game, and I, I I did find that there was a few kind of glitchy, buggy things in the game, but it's just such a creative, interesting use of some of the Vita's uh, capabilities, and you know, just I like I like the idea that you can customize the world, and it's you know it's not necessarily required, but you can kind of have fun with that, and like you know you you add a, a certain thing to a character in the game and then that character shows up multiple times with that customization on him and it's just fun yeah even making sounds and yeah weird stuff like that I, that's the coolest thing about that game and yeah it isn't much of a challenge and i know sean you are a stickler for a challenge you like to be pushed to the limits when you play this game, so. <laughs> well i mean that's the I thing if i'm why. if i'm complaining that it's a little too easy then it's definitely <laughs> pretty easy but you know, whatever. It's it's enjoyable. That's it for me. Uh, okay, I'll say I was waiting for the next-gen remake or revision of Rayman Legends, which I've actually played a ton of on PS4, and I'm loving it. It is so good. Even better than Rayman Origins in terms of just size of the levels, getting... 100% on the levels and the time trial stuff is more manageable, less frustrating. So Sean, you will love the musical levels at the end of each section. I don't know if you've played it. Oh, I do love them. <laughs> yeah, the, when I play that, I'm like, Dwight guy would just be dripping right <laughs> all over the place. And uh, they're pretty amazing. So, awesome game. Need to get back into it shortly. and Just love it, just like the first one. What a game. And I'd said the cool new ideas in Infamous in terms of powers. I just love how they come up with wacky level designs and it's 
even using food and just the weirdest stuff to have a unique feel to the game, which feels like platformers. The Mario games are getting better now with some really weird, diverse levels, but it just seemed for a while their platformers were recycling a lot of stuff over and over again. So I would actually give credit to Sonic the Hedgehog 2 for really pushing the boundaries of what levels are. A classic uh, game. Yeah, I beat Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag. 100% of that bitch. <laughs> uh, really liked it. First time I've gone through an entire... Mostly just I like the, the pirate Caribbean environment and love the ship battles. I think those are amazing. Felt like a bit of a chore to complete the game, but definitely probably my favorite entry in the series so far, considering how much I played it and wanted to complete everything. So, killer game, just killer. And uh, all killer, a little bit of filler. A lot of filler, <laughs> still killer. <laughs> I think would be the, the appropriate saying there. And uh, Andrew, are we going to talk some South Park? I we sure are. That's my last game. game. Me too. So let's talk some South Park. Okay. Game of the year. That's all we need to say. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So funny. I mean, i uh pretty big South Park fan. I think I've watched every episode up to season 12 or so. I think there are like 17 seasons now. So I've seen... I'm pretty, pretty versed in my South Park lore, let's say. And this game nails everything about South Park. The feel, the humor... Um, like the animation style, it really just captures the show so well. And well, just, I, I'd have to add, there's been uh, in, intellectual property games before licensed games. This is the first time where it's seamless. You are playing South, like you are playing a version of South Park. You're playing an episode. You're playing like yeah. a, a South Park movie, essentially. Exactly, which is so impressive. It's almost insane. I. I I don't I haven't beat it. I need to play it more. But based on concept and execution, if the gameplay holds up, it would definitely be in the running for game of the year for me. Yeah. How many? How far are you? Where are you at? Not not far at all. Oh, are you like are you still on day one? Uh, maybe. Okay. So there's like three days to it. So just oh so yeah, you... yeah, still on day one. Okay. So this game, there's only one real flaw that I pointed out with this game and is that there so your magic power in this game are your farts and the tutorials for how to do these magic powers is so unintuitive that I probably wasted I don't know an hour to two hours being stuck in these tutorials because you can't pass the tutorial until you learn how to do this mechanic. And so usually what it is, is you hold down, I'm playing on steam. So you, I don't know how it is on uh console, but you hold down the left mouse button and then you have to press like move left and right in some form or fashion until you hit this like magic sweet zone and then press the right mouse button. And near the end of the game, I figured it out, but there's like this tiny little arrow that kind of points you in 
so the tutorial tells you like how the arrow should move and you're supposed to kind of mimic that but it doesn't really explain what you need to press because when it shows you press left and right it it just seems random so you end up if you mess it up and you press like right mouse button too soon it just says no 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 you were wrong like watch me do it blah 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 and then you have to watch the whole tutorial again what you get one attempt and then you have to watch the whole tutorial again and there's no sort of like get out of jail free card and i don't know if you've got to any of these yet frank but well even the first one using your power that we you have to rotate a thumbstick kind of thing okay i think most of the i'm assuming that most of the stuff you're talking about that's on the mouse is thumbstick motions on the controller which is a little more intuitive probably yeah why wouldn't couldn't you have just hooked up a controller to no there's no controller support i tried Really? Yeah, which was a little surprising to me, actually, considering it is on consoles. Yeah, I thought that would be an obvious thing. That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, there's no there's no controller support, so I was a little disappointed that I was all gung ho to use my DualShock Four. Yeah. Uh, but I had to use the mouse and keyboard, so that was a little hmm. tricky. But the yeah, so that part was bad on Steam. Hopefully, it sounds like it's better on consoles. Um, but I got stuck for hours and there's only four of them there's only four of those tutorials um the only other thing i could say is the battles are you know your typical rpg battles and i found that once i got a mechanic that worked well i stuck with it and then the battles became a little too easy uh and i never really felt the need to branch out and try anything really different now there's not really that many powers to try but um they're the ones you get are, are fun to use. You use them occasionally, but you kind of stick to your, your main ones and, and kind of go with that. I don't know, Frank, how have you been finding the battles? Uh, I haven't done many, but oh, okay. what difficulty are you playing on? Uh, probably easy. Yeah. I'm playing on the easiest possible one. Hey, it's not my fault. Your game doesn't require difficulty for trophies. <laughs> you know, I'm going to play the bare minimum. <laughs> wow, that does not seem like your style, Frank. I'm surprised. Oh, I only play... No, he's playing on hard. That's what he's saying. No, no, no. I play on easy. Oh. Difficulty does not matter for these trophies. Oh, I gotcha. I, uh, when it comes to my difficulty levels, it's strictly based on maximizing trophy gain. So it's not about the respect of your peers? Never. Wow. Never. Okay. It's trophy horn. It's only trophy horn. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> the trophies in this one are ridiculous, too. I don't know. I'm assuming Steam is the same as console, but most of them involve farting on people. That is like the whole... Nice. <laughs> it's like 50% of the trophies. No, it's not on consoles. Oh, no? No. Oh, well then. Um, maybe I'm over-exaggerating with the 50%, but... Maybe. Um, I can't believe some of the jokes they get away with in this game, though. Uh, they, I think what's awesome about the South Park guys is they, from doing the show so long, they know exactly what they can get away with. So they reference stuff that I wouldn't think you'd be allowed to. So they, they like reference Taco Bell. I, you probably haven't got to that part, Frank, but they reference so much stuff from the show, anal probing, like so much stuff. There's like. I don't know, near the end of the game, let's just say you have to go into someone's anal cavity. 
I've, I've heard about it. <laughs> and it is, there's, I think what's great is that they put so many subtle things from the show in that if you didn't watch the show, it wouldn't have the same significance as someone who doesn't really watch the show. So for me, it was hilarious because I'm seeing all this stuff that has meaning to me. Whereas for other people, I think they'd see it and be like, oh, that's weird that that's in there. You can open up like all the kids' closets and see all these little memorabilia from previous shows. Um, There's little hidden things like you can find Santa. Uh, You can go to Canada and Canada is like this 8-bit world which is hilarious. And uh, you meet Terrence and Philip, which are like the big Canadians in the show. And I don't know, they just, they capture the show so perfectly. So this is 100% recommendation for anyone who's even remotely enjoys South Park uh, to play. Pretty short game, like we said, like under 10 hours, I'd say. And I don't know if I would recommend it I definitely wouldn't recommend it if you hate the show. You definitely will not enjoy this game because it's more show than game, in my opinion. Well, I was going to ask, like, I mean, I don't... I, I'm i not a fan of the show, let's put it that way, and I haven't seen much of the show. But I do like Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and I like RPGs that have a sense of humor. But, like, is it all inside jokes? Like, would I get anything out of it if I don't know all that background stuff you'll still get stuff out of it there's still funny jokes it's mostly i'd say fart humor but i mean a lot of the like anal probe jokes you'll laugh at because it's more of the delivery right than the actual like backstory of where this joke came from so um i think you someone like you would like the game maybe not as much as someone like me but I don't think it would be lost on you. I don't think you'd be disappointed with it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, a question in terms of the actual battle mechanics. Like, I always prefer RPGs where you can have a little bit of interactivity within the battles. Is is there any of that in this, or is it just strictly press a button, attack? It's actually it's, all of that. exactly that, yeah. Yeah? yeah? Love it. Yeah, basically, it's. <laughs> did you ever play Super Mario RPG? Yep. So in that, you kind of choose your attack, and then you have to time it at the right time. They have that exact same mechanic, except actually, if you miss in this game, you do very, very little damage, like if you don't time it right. Right. Um, and they also have, uh, I don't know how it works on consoles, but on the PC, you can do a left click or a right click, and it's essentially like a strong and weak attack kind of thing when you time it right. So there is a little variety there. Uh, they also have mechanics where there's sort of like a ranged attack and a melee attack. And then enemies will almost be able to do a counter move. So you have to take that that strategy into account where if they're set up to counter your range attack you want to make sure you don't use that on them kind of thing and okay. vice versa so there is some strategy that goes into it but i wouldn't call it really like deep or you know really heavy on that strategy that sounds perfect for me actually i'm interested frank what did you have any thoughts additional no, I, thoughts I, I loved what i played so far i actually think i might fire it up as soon as we're done here get back into it nice yeah, even the side quests are a lot of fun. Uh, they're 
all homages to the previous get the previous shows but they're still funny even if you don't know the context probably just seeing people crop up in shows would be uh it'll be funny like they, they have uh public figures that pop up that you would there's more backstory if you watch the show but if you you don't then you'd, it'd still be funny there's also a lot of characters from the show that i thought they were gonna have in the game that they actually didn't uh, but even, so I, there's one thing that I laugh at every time and in the show, they have an episode where Jennifer Lopez is singing a song about tacos and you go into stores and they're randomly playing the Jennifer Lopez taco song over the radio and like, uh, um, chef has music. So they play like South Park music within the game context which is hilarious uh maybe more so for me because i find those episodes funny but um there's just so many little little nods to the show that put all together make this an incredible game nice so sounds like big thumbs up from both of you guys then oh yeah huge four to four for me easy easy so you finished it then yeah, I finished it a couple days ago. Cool. I don't. The only thing, I, the only knock is I don't think I'll go back and play it anytime soon. I can see myself wanting to go back and play it probably at the same interval I'd want to go back and like watch a South Park movie. Maybe every couple of years I might want to revisit it, but I wouldn't. Like I wouldn't go back and play it right again, like Frank's doing with Infamous. I definitely wouldn't go back and play it again because the jokes would just, you know, they'd be repetitive by that point, but. Right. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Cool. So that's it for you? Yeah, that's it. Frank, anything else for you? Nope. Well, I think we're pretty much at the end of the show then. And uh, believe it or not, not a single junk mail. Oh, boy. Which, you know. We're we're that popular. (laughs) I guess that's what happens when you only put out a show once every four months or whatever it is. But... I'll just assume that we've covered everything that people are interested in and uh, maybe get your junk mail in for next episode. <laughs> Gamejunkpodcast at gmail.com. But it's kind of good. I'll just good. say I'm a big fan of the rapid fire. Give, give us some rapid fire. Yeah? Uh, I love the rapid fire, especially when it's a funny good one. If you know know the personalities and that drives your rapid fire, oh yeah. (laughs) Solid stuff. So let's talk about upcoming releases briefly. I didn't do a lot of research on this, but um, I know that uh, we've got... So Batman Arkham Origins Blackgate came out for consoles. I don't know if either of you guys checked it out or have any interest but that's it's out there lego the hobbit is now out um trials fusion came out today oh yeah is it have you seen any reviews for that no but the standalone version is like 40 bucks in stores and i'm assuming that's going to be a point of contention because the digital one's 20 bucks yeah that's pretty weird uh yeah there's not really a ton of stuff out over the next little while. Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, and Child of Light and then getting into May. Uh, I know Borderlands 2 is coming out for the Vita. I'll probably be picking that up. 
Mario Golf World Tour. Might give that a poke. Frank, I assume you're looking forward to that. Oh, yeah, one of my most anticipated. That and Mario Kart 8, I can't wait for in May. Yeah, and then I guess the big one uh, would probably be Watch Dogs, which, is this still accurate, May 27th? I didn't know it was yeah, coming out. Yeah, that's crazy, like almost just over a month till that game. Yeah, so, I mean... Should we try to review that one? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Maybe we'll try and aim for that. We haven't done a joint review in a while. Yeah, and there's really nothing. And then getting into the summer, there's a new Transformers game. Uh, Pretty light. Is there anything else big that you're aware of this summer, Frank? Not off the top of my like, head. Almost everything else I've heard of is like September on. Like that's what they're aiming for. The Evil Within comes out in August. That's the only thing I see listed for August here. And uh, there's a bunch of indie stuff, but yeah. This is perfect. It'll give me time to go through my PS3 backlog and then prep for PS4. Yeah. Whenever I buy it. So that's pretty much it. Thanks once again for tuning in to another long-winded episode of Game Junk and uh, hopefully we'll be back sometime in the summer and we'll be talking watchdogs so stay tuned to uh, facebook.com slash gamejunk or twitter.com slash gamejunkpodcast we do post news stories and interesting links from time to time there so uh, if you want to keep up with what we're doing Follow us there, and also if we decide to do another live stream, you will hear about it there as well. And uh, hey, you know what? Tell your friends about Game Junk. Even though we don't record very often, I feel like there might be some people out there that might enjoy the show. Let's expand the conversation a little. Yeah. So um, that's pretty much it. You can follow us all individually on Twitter, twitter.com slash dirtyfrank with three R's and dirty. My Angry Commute and Film Junk. And until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Sean likes his fonts thick and fat. Thick and juicy. You're all about girth rather than (laughs) white? Yes.